In this episode of the Chillinois Podcast, I sit down with Jordan Davidson from Smart Approaches to Marijuana. In case you didn't already know, Smart Approaches to Marijuana is a political organization that is opposed to the legalization of cannabis. Sam believes civil penalties should remain for cannabis use, along with mandated treatment, prevention, education, and awareness. Sam was founded in 2013 by former Congressman Patrick Kennedy, former White House drug policy advisor under George Bush and Barack Obama, Kevin Sabet, and senior editor of The Atlantic, David Frum. In 2013, Rolling Stone listed Kevin Sabet as the number one biggest enemy to legalization. In the article, which I've linked in the show notes, they say that Sam uses, quote, clever language to disguise what essentially remains a prohibitionist argument, end quote. For the most part, I think this statement carries some truth. Sam says they support decriminalization. In fact, in July 2020, they partnered with NAACP Illinois to launch a decriminalize, don't legalize campaign. The number one contention I have with Sam saying that they support decriminalization is that I think that is an incorrect way of describing what they actually believe. I think it's more accurate to say that they agree that possessing small amounts of cannabis should not be a criminal offense, although they do believe it should continue to be a civil offense. They believe that large amounts of cannabis and cannabis cultivation should remain criminalized. On top of all that, they believe that you should be mandated to seek treatment and education. Not everyone who uses drugs does so problematically, so not everyone needs or wants treatment, but effective evidence-based treatment, evidence-based treatment, should be accessible for those that want it, and too often it isn't. Allow me to illustrate how Sam is employing circular reasoning. Sam will say that they agree nobody should be jailed over cannabis, so we should just legalize cannabis, right? Sam believes that legalization is addiction for profit, so the logical answer would be to instead decriminalize cannabis completely and allow people to grow it at home, right? Sam believes policies like this would fuel the black market. So we should just legalize medical cannabis, right? Sam believes that we should instead look to pharmaceutical substances like Marinol, which mimic cannabis. So we should just decriminalize cannabis, right? Sam believes we should only decriminalize limited amounts, and if you get caught with a limited amount of cannabis, Sam believes you should be subject to civil penalties and mandatory treatment. And if you refuse mandatory treatment, you go to jail. And here we are where we started. Nobody should be jailed over cannabis, right? This is perfectly illustrated by a graphic called the Sam Shuffle. Credit where credit is due, I found this on Twitter from Ethan J. DeWicky. I'll be candid, when somebody supports policies like these, it can be really hard not to take it personally. It's hard not to think about what they're actually saying. If I could spell it out clearly, People that support criminalization of cannabis are saying that people like me belong to be locked away in a cage. Again, it can be hard not to take it personally, but I believe that in some ways it is my duty to engage with people like this and keep a cool head. In the past, when I've had Sam on the show, people have said something to the effect of, why would you have them on your show? Why give them the airtime? 
I host conversations with people that I disagree with because I'm confident in what I believe in. Having this conversation served to solidify where I stand on drug policy. If we want to call our society a free society, then we cannot criminalize the possession or use of drugs. Now, Sam is constantly talking about the dangers of high-potency marijuana and how cannabis is many more times potent today than it was in days past. This is simply untrue, but let's set that aside for a moment. Sam may not realize it, but it could actually be argued they're actually parroting a line from cannabis marketers. You see, modern cannabis marketers are motivated to get the highest THC results they can, so they can charge a higher price for what is presumably a more mind-melting product. This has caused what Dana Larson and others call THC inflation. As legal cannabis producers shop around for a lab that will give them the test result they want, so that they can give the false impression that they've cultivated a premium product. As many of you know, claims of inaccurate tests, fraud, corruption, and completely fake results are widespread in our cannabis testing industry. Simply put, cannabis is not any more potent today than it was in days past. We've always had the ability to concentrate cannabis. This rhetoric is simply incorrect and frankly, dangerous. If you're sitting there and asking yourself, why is this rhetoric dangerous? Allow me to show you how it can be wielded. So considering the horrific carnage here from other tragedies we already know about where high potency cannabis may have played a role, it's important that Americans have more answers. We deserve to know the truth about this multi-billion dollar and growing industry, how it's affecting our young people, our working age population, and even our military readiness. You know, they're fine with going to you know, do a run on the guns, and I guess you can argue that if that's what you want to do, try to you know, get rid of the Second Amendment. But yet, completely oblivious to what legalization of marijuana has, has done and is doing to an entire generation of Americans with violent consequences. This is reefer madness. Now, with all of that said, it is my pleasure to present my conversation and debate with Jordan Davidson from Smart Approaches to Marijuana. This conversation is brought to you by listeners like you. You can make a one-time donation of your choice at chillinoynet slash support. That's right, you can donate any amount of money at chillinoynet slash support. And if you're not able to contribute, please like, subscribe, and leave positive reviews to support our podcast. Enjoy the episode. Jordan, thanks for sitting back down with me on the Chillinoy podcast. Hey, Cole, it's, it's really great to be here. I'm, I'm glad to come back on the show. Yeah, and if I didn't make it, I think I told you before, I'm pretty positive I told you before we got on the show, uh, we are on video now, so yeah. um, people can see just how sharply dressed you are. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, are you dressing Are you dressing up like that for me? And, and you gave me the biggest compliment. You said yes. Uh, that's okay. like, <sighs> I, need to, I need to get fancy for this, man. Hell yeah. Well, welcome back to the show. Um, you know, before I have you introduce yourself, I think oddly enough, it's rare to, it's rare nowadays. And this might sound like the, the intro I gave the last time we, we spoke, but yep. I think that's why these types of importance are so, uh, sorry, these conversations are so important. We have lost the ability to talk. Yeah. The one thing that has probably led to more people understanding more about each other is having conversation 
And I think you would agree that it's more common for people to stare at their phone for 10 hours a day and have, frankly, a conversation that's not filled with any nuance or anything else. I'm specifically thinking of Twitter. Yeah. Instead of sitting down, like it's rare. We sat down last time for two hours I, and I try to sit down with all my guests for about that time. And I do that because it's rare that anybody does that. Think about it. I mean, you, you have your significant other. I believe you got a significant yeah. other. Yeah. You get your family you might sit down with for dinner, but who else besides maybe a meeting do you actually sit down with and just talk for two hours? It just doesn't happen, yeah. you know? So um, it's something that we've lost. And in, in, in the spirit of that, I wanted to bring you on because, uh, frankly, people already know by tuning in to this, if they're at all aware of who you are, uh, we stand uh, in some ways on on opposite sides on certain issues. In some ways, I think we actually agree on things, which I have an interesting exercise that we'll go through. Whether or not it's going to be beneficial is will be interesting. Um, but let's let's if for folks for folks that don't know you, do you mind? Yeah introducing yourself to yeah, our audience of course um so my name is jordan davidson um so professionally i serve as the communications and legislative affairs officer for a group called smart approaches to marijuana so or sam so sam is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization that works to really push middle ground science-based marijuana policy so we view that there's a false dichotomy there are people who say we need to fully prohibit people, you know, fully prohibit marijuana, you know, arrest people, lock them up, throw away the key. And then there are people who say we need a full commercial market um, that that is right now being invested in by big tobacco and big alcohol and just this hyper commercialized market that comes oftentimes with legalization. So we say, why don't we decriminalize low level possession of marijuana so that people can get treatment instead of incarceration? And why don't we expand uh, research and, and remove barriers to research? And so we have a science advisory board that kind of advises us on everything. Uh, and, 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 and we try and be, be that kind of middle ground group. And so then personally, um, the reason that I'm involved in, in marijuana policy is, is because of my own experience with marijuana. So I have over three years of sobriety um, I think it'll be like three and a half years and three days here. Um, and uh, I, I struggled mostly with a cannabis use disorder. Um, so I was, I was, you know, smoking weed every single day, the high potency stuff, you know, um, the, the cartridges that are being you know, sold on legal markets and 99% THC stuff, the stuff you didn't get back in the seventies. Right. Um, and I thought it wasn't addictive and I thought it was, you know, a miracle drug and it was the best thing on the planet. Um, until I learned from my personal experience otherwise. And, and I started just getting kind of into this work because of that, that passion I have based on my own experience with addiction. Yeah. And uh, for folks that if you can, it's hard to maybe give a highlight reel because it is an important personal struggle, but for folks that don't know about that experience you just alluded to, can you give us a peek behind the curtain? Like yeah. what was going on? Yeah. So, you know, the so in my personal experience, um, I, I started off smoking, um, you know, just every now and then with friends. I think, like most people who do smoke, do. Um, but then it became a thing where I was using it to uh, feel feel good about myself in, in a way that was bad, right? I was, I was doing it to remove anxiety, I was doing it um, to get through the day. Um, in a way that I became really dependent on it. And I was doing it, you know, morning, noon, and night. 
and it was something that grew increasingly unhealthy. And then I realized that I couldn't really go a day without it. Um, I would I would steal money from friends and from my family um, just to to get some more um, in a given day. Um, I would I would lie about being high. I would drive high, go to work high, and I would lie about it. And when you're lying about your intoxication, it's not a good sign. Um, and I finally started to lose friends, lose relationships, lose trust in people I cared about and, and slip in school. And um, I realized that I was, I was addicted. And uh, it, it was something that was hard for me to admit. I think it's something that's hard for a lot of people to admit. The, the, the real kind of center of this for me and how this relates to my work, which, which I, you know, it's, and it's, I guess the number one message I hope to relay to your kind of listeners is that with marijuana, we have this stigma with drug use. Right, we've had a stigma for decades that you have to hide it, that you can't talk about it, and that it's uh, you're morally corrupt if you use drugs. So, so you're just a bad person, and that has kept a lot of people from not actually reaching out for support. That's something that needs to be changed right now, and I think is changing. The problem with marijuana is there's this idea that it's not addictive at all, which isn't true and is not supported by any of the research. Anywhere from ten to thirty percent of people do suffer from addiction. And oftentimes it's because of kind of the newer products we're seeing now that are really high potency and, 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 and just different forms of ingestion and all that stuff. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But uh, it's, it, it can be negative. Um, and even if it's for a minority of the population that marijuana use is, is a significant negative in terms of addiction, um, it still is possible. And so because I think we've been hearing messages and I get them all the time that I'm lying, that I'm some paid actor or something, um, Imagine the people who see that, who do suffer from cannabis use disorder, who see people getting shamed for coming out and saying that they have struggled with that and saying that they're lying. Does that make them feel comfortable coming out to their friends and family about their struggles? I don't really think so. So I think we need to also work to destigmatize that. And that's a lot of the kind of, to kind of from a personal level, the work that I do. Yeah. It, it also, those, those attitudes mm-hmm. might uh, decrease the likelihood that somebody would seek out treatment if they're consistently exactly. told. Yeah. That it, you're stupid. This isn't addictive. Now, look, let's just take on the elephant in the room here. Uh, Bob Saget had a funny joke out of what is it? Uh, Half baked when he's yeah. like, Hi, I'm here today because I'm addicted to marijuana. Marijuana is not a drug. I used to suck dick for coke. I seen them. Now, that's an addiction, man. You ever suck some dick for marijuana? Huh? He's like, Have you ever sucked dick for weed? No. Uh, so, but what you're pointing out, and we've talked about this on the show in the past, is the uh, abuse liability of a drug and and how addictive it is likely to be. And ultimately, you can get addicted to anything, but you can also get addicted to cannabis. And that often happens through uh, a reinforcement cycle, which uh, I went back and listened to a podcast we had about cannabis use liability uh, with a person who actually did he gave the same speech to uh, a student student like body at a, at a college um, and so he talked about the you know like four parameters in which abuse potential is measured and frankly um, you know so reinforcement is where it can start these, these aren't in any particular order but reinforcement is where an addiction to any drug anything, um, including cannabis can start. So you take a drug, i.e. cannabis, you have this big dopamine re- uh, release, the effects of the drugs are rewarding, and therefore you want to do it again. And yeah. so the cycle continues. 
um, our guests that I'm referring to, folks will have uh, the link in the show notes. And I mentioned we're on video earlier. If you'd like to watch the video version of the podcast, just go to chillinoynet slash video or go to the link in the podcast description. You can watch us and see both of, well, Jordan's beautiful face. I, I oh. can't, but <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, so uh, anyways, though, reinforcement happens. Just to recap, you take a drug, you have this big dopamine release. The effects of the drug are rewarding our guest, which I forgot to mention. I'll throw that link in the podcast description as well. If you guys want to go back and listen to that podcast about cannabis use disorder and abuse potential, both really important topics, I think, to discuss some that we'll be discussing today. Um, he would smoke an eighth a day before he left the house. He'd have to take a bong rip. He didn't view, and he didn't view that as a productive way to live his life. Yeah. So he took a three month break, reestablished his relationship with cannabis and uses much less nowadays. He has a completely different relationship with the drug, but reinforcement will often lead into tolerance. So you, you know, you continue to re yeah. repeat that right. cycle. You start to build a tolerance and our, our bodies are remarkably adaptable. Once the body begins to adapt to having the drug in it, uh, the cannabinoids start to get metabolized faster and easier, which often leads to people saying, I don't smoke to get high. Yeah, I smoke to get normal. And that's when we lead into our next parameter of abuse potential, which is dependence, which again, tolerance can quickly and easily turn into a dependence, which is when the body is essentially, let's go back to human bio. Uh, the body has essentially reached homeostasis with the drug consistently in the body. So again, some people say they don't smoke to get high. They smoke to get normal, which is a solid indication that your body has adjusted to being in homeostasis. And in other words, if you stop using what a lot of people notice is that you could have a reaction to it, which is another controversial uh, uh, topic to bring up. People don't think there's any like uh, withdrawal symptoms and there certainly are. They may just not be as uh, intense is like a heroin withdrawal, for example. Um, just to wrap up my thoughts, I know I'm saying a lot, but I wanted to dig into this topic because it's that's why I brought you on, right? Um, you're basically getting used to your body relying on these natural precursors, aka cannabis, to facilitate the delivery of cannabinoids, dopamine, and more. And once those precursors aren't there to kick off that reaction, you're probably going to notice that in the form of mood swings, uh, appetite loss, crazy yeah. dreams, get the craziest dreams. Um, so a big part of what your endocannabinoid system does, again, back to biology, uh, this is something I learned in college biology. I don't know, they didn't teach this in high school, but the endocannabinoid system, you know, just I'm not even talking about with regard to cannabis, just the system in your body is involved in allowing your body to reach homeostasis. So when you start to tweak with that, that's how you can knock your body off of homeostasis. Um, and then the last parameter, which we'll just quickly go into is relapse. And that's when you're healing from a dependence and relapse is defined as the reinstatement of a drug following a prolonged period of, of abstinence. So, uh, I feel like I got into this because you were talking about the fact that people will either accuse you of lying about cannabis use disorder and say that you're, you're just, uh, I've seen it, uh, that you're a stooge, uh, that that's being paid, by some party yeah. uh, to yeah. uh, do whatever. Um, this is the thing. The DSM-5 uh, defines cannabis use disorder, and we'll get into what it's defined as, um, but it's real. Um, it's real. I want to stress that I think you can become addicted to anything, folks. A lot yeah. of people have an unhealthy relationship with food. Some people have an unhealthy relationship with coffee, which I guess you could say lumps in with food. 
uh, exercise, uh, on the other end of the spectrum with food, not eating enough food. Like, you know, there's, there's so many different things where people can fall into, uh, not, you know, operating correctly. So, um, yeah, I did find that interesting though. One of your recent tweets about cannabis use disorder, basically all the replies were saying that, that you don't have it. And I don't understand why it's such a big deal. It wasn't even so, so I wasn't even like going crazy. So the, the tweet was, it was last week that also sincerely apologize if you can hear the people screaming for whatever reason outside my apartment. Um, so so uh, the CDC has, I guess, this thing, I, I hadn't heard of it before. They have this like disease or disorder of the week, where I guess they just like highlight and, and raise awareness for stuff. And last week it was, mar- they, they call it marijuana use disorder. So interchangeable, you know, marijuana use disorder. I mean, I don't know. If that doesn't confirm that it's something real to people, uh, I, I don't know what will. But yeah, oh, this is fantastical for the people watching the video. Okay, so yeah, if you scroll up, so I wrote today. Uh, oh, so this was a different tweet. Yes, so this was actually something different. So there are two. Um, so if you scroll down a little bit, I wrote, um, yeah, if you keep scrolling, it was, yeah, there you go. There okay. it is. So I wrote, for those who say, so if you're listening and, and you're not watching, I wrote a tweet. For those who say marijuana isn't addictive, this week's CDC disease or condition of the week, colon, marijuana use disorder. Um, and sorry for the sirens too. Um, I just also, before we get into this even more, um, I'll let that go for a minute. Oh, you're, yeah, you're all good. You better hide your stash too, because if they fucking find that... Um... <laughs> Yeah. I'm just joking, Jordan. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's an old problem I had, Cole. Um, so, so, you know, also just, you know, disclaimer for anyone who like, you know, for whatever reason, doesn't, doesn't buy what I'm saying, or, you know, there are a lot of people who might believe that this exists and believe what I'm saying, but think that me and, and Sam, my organization is trying to weaponize this to push for like mass incarceration or push for some big pharma interest, which by the way, our organization takes no money from big alcohol, big tobacco, or big pharma, full disclosure, full disclaim, you know, we don't. Um, it's, it's, it's really not, um, we, we don't want to, you know, we think that if you want to smoke a joint in, the, in, in your own home and like, like you shouldn't be arrested and, and, and you shouldn't like be harassed and, and, you know, it should be decriminalized. Um, so, so, so we're really not trying to weaponize this. So that's just disclaimer. Um, so anyway, back, back to the tweet. So that's all I said. And I, and I actually put a link to the CDC, all it was saying it's real. And so I'm sure Cole, you can, yeah, you can open that up. That was the marijuana use disorder, cannabis use disorder, disease of the week. Um, so if you go back to the tweet, um, I like how they helped me pronounce it though. I know. I, that was funny. I first thought that I was like, use, um, so, <laughs> cause it says Y O O Z like the pronunciation. <laughs> so, uh, if you scroll down, um, you know, you can see like, okay. And I, you know, and, and you could say, you know, people trying to say, well, anything can be addicting. So you're stupid addictive, the CDC link, what, you know, people trying to like, also by half of these people, like Je- Jeff Beverly, who, you know, comments crazy stuff all the time. Like these people, you go to their profiles and, and they'll just be like people who just list cannabis stocks and just like are mad that anything saying cannabis is harmful could maybe hurt their, their financial interests. Like literally sure. they do. So I just find that so funny. You know, I'm hashtag disingenuous, uh, and you know the it goes on and on. Oh, this guy! You you guys will get a kick out of this. Um, 
if you oh, uh, hey, this includes some of the yeah. stuff from the DSM five that I was gonna, but here let me back up. What was he so saying? If you scroll if you scroll down, you'll find you know the crate. So okay, yeah, there you go. I'm addicted to cheese because it's so awesome. I have a cheese use disorder, I guess. Like like so basically, you know, it's you know, it, it, it's totally, you know, oh, cannabis does not cause the type of dependence. There you go. That we associate with other drugs, trying to just say it doesn't exist. Like, you know. Yeah. So, so my whole thing is this. My whole thing is this. I've developed a thick skin about this. Okay. It's so funny because my whole thing is imagine if someone came out on Twitter talking about they suffered from anorexia, right? Let's say someone said they were suffering from clinical depression, things that undoubtedly exist. And you had a whole host of comments below saying that you're lying, you know, uh, why don't you just feel happier or why don't you just eat something? Because I've gotten also a lot of comments saying, you, you know, you, you really need a joint, you, know, you really need to relax, right? Like similar stuff, right? People would see that and think this is inhumane and cruel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mean, I, I assume mo- all of your listeners would probably agree with that, right? I mean, people pointed out that when Jeff Bezos popped a bottle and started spraying it all over the place in front of William Shatner, that that was insensitive because William yeah. Shatner, and he's like, you want a drink? And William Shatner is a recovering alcoholic. Yeah, right. Like that's right. But but yet we don't hold the same standard for marijuana. And I think the reason is, and, and this, is, this, is my, this is just my idea. Part of the reason is people see the marijuana industry as, and we can debate this um, or not, but you know, as, as a, a, a new cool booming industry that they can get in on that is whether it's in a financial, whether they want to invest in a stock, whether they want to actually open their own business, um, whether they just uh, want to have access to all these different products, um, whatever, oftentimes the people trying to make a buck, um, you know, it, it, it hurts them for people to spread messages that cannabis isn't all 100% great. Right. No one wants something they want to make money off of or a product to be called bad. Right. Um, you know, oil companies don't, you know, invest a ton of money into making oil seem like a good solution um, for energy problems for nothing, even though people know it's not the greatest thing on the planet. Right. It's the same thing. So it's just disappointing to see the double standard when we're doing so well destigmatizing mental health. Like Simone Biles, think of Simone Biles, right? Like, like a lot of a lot, no, a lot of people pushed back, but a lot of people said, okay, Simone Biles had mental health problems and she took some time away from the Olympics, even when it was probably a really hard time to give to kind of step away to take care of her mental health. And people said, you know, it's it's great that she's doing that because it's showing that this is something that should and can be done, that people need to prioritize their mental health first. The people who were screaming, you know, why don't you just get back on, on the mat, you know, suck it up, were kind of ridiculed because they were saying that's really insensitive, right? We are actually moving in a positive direction with mental health, except with marijuana stuff. It's really just a weird double standard to me that I, I'm, I'm just trying to dispel. Yeah. I, I don't think it's singular to to cannabis, but we can definitely talk about cannabis. Yeah. And actually, I think it relates to other psychedelics, uh, other drugs, including psychedelics. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Let me put it this way. I hear what you're saying that. So first of all, let's put on the hair. Actually, let's let's start our exercise. Um, I wanted to. Oh, did I seriously close? Oh, I put it in an Excel document. OK, I'm going to share my screen. And what I wanted to do, and feel free to laugh at me, but I think this is going to be good. 
Let's talk about the things that we agree on and the things that we disagree on. No, I like this. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right? So cannabis use disorder disorder exists. We agree that that exists. Yeah. Um, We agree that decriminalization is Is a good thing. And we're, we're separating that from commercialization and we'll yeah, get to that. Right. That decriminalization is a good thing. And, and decriminalization is a, is a really good way um, for us to achieve a lot of social justice goals. Cause like, you know, there, you know, there was a ton of racism in the war on drugs, right? The war on drugs has been something that has adversely affected so many communities that have been marginalized and oppressed. And that it's, you know, it's, it's really not debatable, right? We, we totally, we agree on that. And we agree that reform needs to happen um, in light of that. And so social justice reform, especially, and, and decriminalization is a good way to do that because we see a lot of, you know, profiling um, and a lot of instances, even, of, you know, of police brutality as a result of, 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 you know, using weaponizing marijuana possession in order to kind of exert force, Right. And so decriminalization is a good way to 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 reduce or hopefully eliminate that. Um, and, and so I think that we we definitely agree on that. Just wanted to shed some more light for people on, on you know, where I come from on that issue. Yeah. And we'll get to this. Uh, we'll get back to decriminalization. But I do think there is something we disagree about on decriminalization. I, and yeah. that's we'll, we'll talk about that. You remember probably what I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just go back to a point earlier Um that you brought up, which is that Sam employs like a lot of people that, that you guys are really science oriented and science minded. And my question is, I mean, I notice you say it all the time in your tweets and frankly, it's the name of the organization. Why do you guys cling to the word marijuana when, when it, the plant is named cannabis? Um, Yeah. It's, that is its name. Marijuana (laughs) is totally slang and it's rooted in all that uh, stigma and, racism uh that you just talked about you know so i think so there um i know that you didn't make the name let's make that clear you didn't choose it to be sam it was started by patrick kennedy and was it kevin as well or yeah so so it was started by patrick kennedy um and uh and and kevin sabat and also uh david from so he so it was started david from weird did not expect him yeah right so so he actually wrote a really great piece when Sam was kind of formed in, in a journal about marijuana issues. Um, and so it, it, it's really cool because we have like, you know, a Democrat, a Republican and independent um, mm-hmm. who, who started Sam. Um, and I and I think that, uh, you know, that just kind of goes to show like. Who's the Democrat? Who's the Republican? Who's the independent? Uh, so, uh, you know, I mean, so. Is Patrick Kennedy the Republican? No, Patrick Kennedy's a Democrat. I mean, JFK. Okay, nephew. see that. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's JFK's nephew. Oh yeah. Well, shit. I feel yeah. stupid now. <laughs> <laughs> so he's JFK's nephew, uh, and you know, and Ken, uh, Ted Kennedy's son. Um, so he, so he's a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, David Frum's a uh, Republican. Um, and so I mean, I guess it's not really my place to talk about, but but like I mean, it's public. So I mean, sure. Kevin uh, is is of the Baha'i faith, um, and. Uh, it's and so he's he's Persian um, and a lot of Persians are Baha'i and and so actually there's um, some some like rules about political affiliation in the Baha'i faith so about like not being able to like join parties so he has been an independent uh, hmm. 
I mean, and, and he's been in both uh, both administra yeah, administration, Obama right. administration. Right. So, um, yeah, exactly. So um, he's been in the in the in the Clinton, Bush, and Obama administrations, and so you know he's actually the only person to um, be an appointee in the Office of National Drug Control Policy um, who uh, has been appointed by both Democrats and Republicans. So, cool. Yeah. Um, well, um, yeah, think, back to. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I'm saying I can, I can, I can totally get to the to the uh, the reason why I use marijuana. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's there's kind of a, a one main reason, um, and then kind of just to push back on the whole like using it is like a racist thing. Um, I'll just address that quickly first. Like, sure. So, sure. so, so there's a really interesting argument. So I want to be clear. I don't think you're using it racist. It's, <laughs> no, it's I, know I know, I know that. I know these people say it. So, so there's, so there's a historian of actually Latin um, history and in the UC system, his name is Isaac Campos. And he actually wrote about this, um, the issue of using marijuana. And, and he actually argues um, that the erasure of the word is actually kind of like a deletion of Hispanic American history. So he argues that like changing the way we talk about it um, actually seeks to kind of strip Mexican influences on our culture. So it's it's kind of like a culture erasure. Um, and, and so that's one thing that, you know, that's not like the reason we use it, um, but it's just an interesting kind of like, like pers just perspective opposing that from history. I asked Jordan for sources on the reference he made to Isaac Campos because I was unfamiliar with the person and their work. I've pasted links that Jordan sent to me after the show that relate to this claim in the show notes. So uh, the, the main reason is, number one, um, I mean, today maybe more people, but not everyone knows really what cannabis is. Actually, you know, surprisingly, not everyone knows what cannabis is. Most everyone knows what marijuana refers to. And secondly, are actually like, they're not direct synonyms. So marijuana is always cannabis, but cannabis is not always marijuana. So cannabis can refer to CBD. Cannabis can refer to other compounds. Cannabis can refer, in some instances, some people use it for hemp. Marijuana, when people use marijuana, they know that they're talking about the stuff that gets you high, right? They're talking about the stuff that gets CBD. When you're using a, a CBD tincture, who says, I'm using marijuana right now? People say, I'm using CBD. When you're smoking a joint, you say, I'm smoking marijuana, or people say, I'm smoking cannabis. So cannabis is the name of the plant, but that plant is so complex and has so many different compounds. And marijuana is mainly used for the stuff that has, you know, THC in it that is processed to have tea to, you know, to, to, to actually get you high. Um, and so that's the main reason because that's what we're tackling our organization. That's our main focus. Gotcha. Well, I just have to say, you know, again, kind of going back to human bio, there's binomial nomenclature and the genus and species of the plant is cannabis. So if we're talking about science, you would think that you would lean into, I get what you're saying for people to more people to understand, but it just seems like it feels like you're splitting hairs um, and choosing to work, use that word. And I, I, I am not familiar with the research that you just presented, but I do know that like you know, Linnaeus, you remember Linnaeus in biology, uh, the guy that did the bean, uh, the, the experiments with the beans. You don't, did you not learn about that? He, he would like sex plants with beans and he, he would show like what happens if you, um, 
force plants to being plants to reproduce and how those characteristics can hold. It was, I think, like I say, in a human bio class, when we were trying to learn how you, you know, get things from your parents or whatever, one of the things they didn't teach you though, uh, or didn't teach me, I did learn it, learned it after the fact is that another plant that Linnaeus was experiencing with was cannabis. And he was referring to it, you know, he, or he didn't call them beans. He called them their genus and species. He didn't call it marijuana or anything else. He called it cannabis sativa or whatever he happened to be working with. Well, I guess it's kind of like, okay, we don't refer to heroin as diacetylmorphine, which is what the name for heroin is. Heroin is diacetylmorphine, right? People are like, you know, I'm struggling with a diacetylmorphine addiction. And I, and I, I just think it's more like heroin, people know what you're talking about. And also that's the word that's referring to a substance that is used to get you high, right? That, that, like, like that has a cultural, like that's an implication of the substance, right? Um, it's, 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 so, so I think like there are so many, there are different uses for the cannabis plant that when we're just talking about in, in like in a way that everyone can understand our policy issue, we're talking mostly about marijuana. So, I mean, I, I get where you're, and I get where you're coming from. Like, I'm not trying to like put it down, but that's just, that's just how, how, how we, how we view it. Understood. Understood. It's just something, honestly, that's always stuck out to me. Cause that's yeah. one of the things you, you folks always say is that like you, you try and you're trying to be even-handed. You're trying to be with the science, but then that M in Sam just sticks out to me like a sore yeah. thumb because I'm like, scientifically speaking, that's not but, uh, the name of the plant. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I also think uh, that yeah, Kevin's probably going to kill me for saying this, but I think our organization would sound pretty weird if it was named SAC. Um, well, I was going to say, you know, you could do beyond approaches uh, to legalization, smart approaches to cannabis, ball sack. It just. It's <laughs> I actually did that off the top of my head. Sorry, Kevin's <laughs> going to kill us. Um, you, but you, you, know, you know what? You make a great point. Uh, I think you make a good point when you talk about heroin and, and what it's actually called. But what I did notice in that is that the last little part, I didn't know that that was the chemical name for heroin, but you said morphine. Right. I mean, we've yeah. called it morphine for so long. I don't know why we started calling it heroin. You yeah, know, I actually honest. don't know either. I'd be interested to find out why we call it heroin. I, I don't. Know. It's interesting that I don't mean to get us too far off the beaten path, but everybody tries to point fingers at the pharmaceutical industry and they're, they're definitely to blame for the opioid epidemic, but they point like the New York times will point to studies like, Oh, in 1999, the pharmaceutical industry knew that opiates were this addictive. And it's like, Hey, We've known that morphine is addictive for a long yeah. fucking time. I read To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> like, has anybody yeah, else yeah. read to, Ki yeah. to Kill a Mockingbird? There's literally a character in that book that's addicted to morphine. And that's the thing. That's when you used to be able to buy morphine in Sears magazines, right? Yeah. Um, well, actually, so I'm glad you brought that up because that's something, and we don't have to go too long on this, but it's something that I wanted to talk about. And it's kind of a main part of like, you know, Sam's effort. So, um, you know, The, the, the effort to kind of, you know, lower, especially among teens, rates of drug use in this country were in some ways, you know, we talked about very problematic. Um, and, but in some ways, and especially, you know, people like to bash on some of the campaigns from the 80s and stuff. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? They laugh at them. In some ways, they actually were successful. The reductions in teen drug use from 1979 to the early to mid 1990s is actually incredible. If you look at the chart, it's 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 incredible the reduction actually in teen drug use 
um, that that resulted um, from from a lot of those kind of messaging campaigns and, and people make fun of them, but whatever. But and I, and I don't mean to cut you off, but those yeah. campaigns, from what I understand, a lot of them like the, this is your brain on drugs one, which I'm not saying that you're saying yeah. that that's yeah. like I'm not saying you're saying yeah. like that's a good ad. But those campaigns that you're talking about often were funded, from what I understand, by the pharmaceutical industry, alcohol and big tobacco. I've provided a few links in the show notes regarding the Partnership for Drug-Free America and their sources of funding. From what I've been able to find online, they've received funding from Jim Beam, Anheuser-Busch, Johnson & Johnson, DuPont, and Philip Morris, among others. It seems that these claims stem from an expose that Cynthia Cotts did in 1992. And what else did you see during those time periods? You just talked through 1999. We had a big problem with cigarettes in that time. I mean, it wasn't, you guys point out all the time. And I wanted to bring up some, something from Stanford. And I feel bad because I feel like I'm derailing your point. Oh, no, no, you're good. You're good. Um, there's this library from Stanford that's really awesome. I'll share my screen right now, folks. Yeah. Again, check out the video podcast. This is the reason we're doing it. Um, there's a library from Stanford that includes collections of advertising for tobacco in the back in the day. And so we've got, oh, why don't we start with this doctor's one? Doctors. Yeah, smoking, doctors right? smoking. Right. Yeah. Doctors yeah, let, let's, smoking back then. Many, many doctors smoke camels more than any other cigarette. Uh, what? Oh, I was trying to make that full screen. Um, oh, it's kind of small. I like, I like this little thing in the bottom. It's hard to see, but it says... Doctors in every branch of medicine were queried nationwide in a study of cigarette preference. Three leading researchers, research organizations made the survey. Sorry, it's really hard to read this. The, the point is, folks, in the past, they you got to look this up. I'll throw a link uh, for this in the podcast description. It's a uh, um, if you're wanting to Google it, it's the Stanford research into the impact of tobacco advertising. Um, and they've actually got more than just uh, tobacco here. Let me uh, display. So they've got cigarettes, pipe cigars, chewing tobacco, cannabis, hookah, e-cigarettes, pods, you know, d- disposables. Um, there's a whole collection, but the cigarettes section is just crazy because you see go- Joe Camel look, here. Look who's on the left. Look who's on the left there. Who is that? Reagan. Nice. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, yeah there you Ronald go. Reagan did ads for, yeah, when he was an actor. My cigarette is the mild cigarette. That's why Chesterfield is my favorite. There you go. I mean, so it's just, it's my point in bringing this up though. Look, 1992, all those time periods you were just talking about, we started to experience a huge issue with uh, youth picking up cigarettes. And I mean, people were. So that actually proves the point I was going to make. So this is exactly ties into the point. So my, my initial point was, when did we see the absolute jolt in in drug use? It was the mid to late 1990s when OxyContin and other similar opioids were beginning to be marketed, by the way, which was huge, which was controversial, marketing those drugs, um, having advertisements similar. I mean, you know, you can look at the history, but, you know, there were a lot of actually ads that were very misleading um, and that you that you know inter, and people who were interviewed in those ads actually 20 years later have been interviewed again and they actually became addicted to oxycontin um, and, and 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 that was a legal drug cigarettes they're a legal drug um, you know and, and and they're legally able to be advertised and so my point is that it's been legal drugs that have actually really been the fuel of the drug addiction epidemic that's not to say it's 100 percent 
But when you look at even the charts, just simply um, when drug use has spiked, it's been when a massive major legal drug has been introduced into the market, um, like with OxyContin. And so what we're really concerned about is the same thing happening with marijuana and us also not learning from the past. I mean, you, you're seeing all these advertisements and, and this marketing of, of different products in ways that are really, uh, you know, not genuine um, and and we aren't learning from the mistakes of, of the past. And, 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 you know, we even see this, take something else that doesn't have as much significant opposition, you know, sports, sports betting and, and gambling and stuff, right? I'm sure you've all seen like all the crazy advertisements everywhere at any, every NFL game you watch for sports betting, because no one's really pushing back against that. And, 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 and you're seeing it's an addictive thing, right? Gambling is addictive. I think everyone knows that. And they're, they're capitalizing that through advertising on television. Television advertisements for cigarettes were banned in 1971 because we knew that it was bad. We're not learning these lessons with the new addictions and kind of new vices of today. And so we want to be a voice at SAM to kind of say, hey, let's look back at the past and what we've learned um, and, and have really kind of sensible drug policy, smart policy, right, given the name. Um, and, and nothing crazy on either side, but learning from the past. And I was just looking up because I was thinking that the time period, this was one of the points I was going to make. Can you help me make it? Make it. Um, I mean, the minimum age of 16 years old, that was the original, Yeah, uh, was introduced in 1980 for cigarettes. So when people say that uh, cigarettes were advertised for to kids, it's because they could. <laughs> I mean, kids yeah. could buy cigarettes. Yeah. Um, so nowadays, um, we're not seeing as as prolific advertisements. I still think there's still advertising of cigarettes going on. Um, but we've also increased age limits. Like in Illinois, for example, you have to be 21 now to purchase cigarettes. So that's a new that, thing. that was a that was a federal ban. That was not banned. So that was a federal rule. So across the country, you have to be 21. Oh, it is a federal thing for yeah, 21 everyone. and cigarettes? Interesting. Yeah, everyone, everyone. DC, everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember when that happened. That was a couple of years ago, I think. Um, and it's like, and it's like you know, and, and we were starting to handle the cigarette issue. And then Jewel and the e-cigs came along. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, and, so here's the thing you, you bring up these drugs. I think it's important to you, to, you talk and I wanted to go there with you. Cause man, it's, it's true. I just showed you all those ads from Stanford. And again, folks, if you want to see them, um, there's a collection we'll link in the podcast description. Um, so what you're, this is how we just set up this conversation, right? Uh, people have advertising campaigns. They often collude with physicians or, uh, well-known, you know, prominent folks that people trust and pitch these products is oftentimes safe, therapeutic, sometimes even for like spiritual experiences. Yeah. Um, uh, if I didn't mention safe already, they always present them as safe. Yeah. Um, and that they've had historical uses. So if you're good with getting a little bit into that, I'd love to chat about that, about the whole Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I wanted to set up the conversation with that idea. So you, you go right yeah. on ahead, take that. So, on. so this, this whole safe thing uh, gives me a headache, man. Um, in, in the historical use, first of all, so how many times have I heard, well, people have been smoking cannabis for a thousand years. The founding fathers smoked hemp. Um, you know, they, 
they they weren't they weren't ripping you know dabs with butane lighters you know they 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 just weren't doing that so it's there's there's the historical use thing that really holds absolutely no weight and secondly let's say let's you know yeah let, let's say people have been using it um, for a thousand years think about cigarettes right cigarettes have been used like tobacco has been used in smoke before you go to that point yeah. you said you want i want to make sure that your points heard clearly you're not disputing whether or not people have interfaced with these substances yeah, yeah, for thousands of years you're disputing that this dab pen or a bong yeah. or whatever that's not been around that's yeah, that, and that's and that's like the that's and that's the stuff that has the 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 potency oftentimes the chemicals that make it so much more powerful and addictive and intoxicating and impairing think about cigarettes so People have smoked cigarettes also for for many, many, many years, or not sorry, tobacco, sorry, just tobacco generally, right? For many years. People weren't dying in, in, in various civilizations of tobacco use in the masses, I don't think really at all, until the early 20th century. And why? Because the cigarette was invented, right? They put chemicals in the cigarette. They... They, they really harness the potency of the nicotine in the cigarette and they made it easily combustible and in a way where you could smoke a lot at one time very easily and you could just buy it at your local store. So even though tobacco has been used for centuries before that, it wasn't until the advent of the cigarette that people started dying from tobacco use. So yeah. tobacco use, yes, harmful in and of itself, but the reason that it has the mass social kind of negative effect that it does, oh my God, it's so loud, I'm so sorry. Um, this effect that it does is because of its commercialization. And then, and then there's the second half of this, which is the whole safe part. And so this doesn't just have to do with marijuana. Um, yep. So I won't venture out on this for too long, but um, I think it's part of the conversation. And I actually think the marijuana legalization movement has been a stepping stone to this. So um, we see this whole, all this, you know, safe supply, you know, safe drug use, um, you know, let's give people safe heroin um, so that they, so, to, to supposedly reduce overdoses. And, you know, I, I think that this is just a really dangerous road to travel down because number one, um, there, there hasn't been evidence that this is actually helped with the overdose crisis. We have had a lot of these harm reduction methods and you know, harm reduction has its place, right? But harm reduction, the, the extreme way that we're seeing it now in terms of literally giving people free drugs um, is, 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 is not working. Um, you know, think about California and San Francisco. You know, people are just, you know, same, harm reduction is being popularized nationwide right now. And so people think that this is the new big thing that uh that that is coming up and so let's test it that's the idea right this is new this is an idea let's test it extreme harm reduction practices have been practiced in san francisco for over 20 years indisputable uh that's just it's been happening since the 90s so you know has not really done much for san francisco's really severe drug crisis especially in the tenderloin right now and um, I, I just think there's, it is, it is, are there drugs that are more dangerous than others? For sure, right? Fentanyl-laced drugs are very, extremely dangerous. But I think we're going down a bad path calling things like any form of heroin safe. Yeah. Um, 
and so so that's just kind of a note that 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 we believe in, and I wanted to contribute to the conversation. I'm sure there's a wide range of views with your listeners and, and yourself, and I'm happy. I'm I'm interested to hear what you think, Cole. Well, this will be another one. I think we'll 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 just uh, we'll agree on um, drug use. I'm a, I'll share my screen. Drug use yeah. is not healthy or safe in all instances. Um, I'll share my screen really quick because I actually added another one while we were talking. And luckily, since I I just added this line, we won't hopefully we won't lose where we were just about to go. But I think you would agree that advertising for all drugs should be prohibited. Uh, the United States of America is very unique in that we allow drugs. I mean, you, you could turn on the TV right now and it'll be like, contact your doctor to see if Vyvanse is good for you. You know, like that's something yeah. we're used to seeing. Yeah. And frankly, that doesn't happen in other countries. And I think it should not happen with alcohol. It shouldn't happen with cigarettes. It shouldn't happen with pharmaceutical drugs. And I don't think it should necessarily happen with cannabis. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's I, something I mean, we might I, agree I, yeah. on. I, I mean, I, I personally agree on that. Um, I, I think that if there is a drug out there that um, someone may need, um, then their doctor um, who is in the medical field should know about the drugs available. And it should be you know, a conversation between the patient and the doctor. It shouldn't be a conversation between the patient, the doctor, and the TV advertiser. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, though, there's another, uh, <laughs> you know, another thing we, I don't know how we correct these things, but my... I've got a lot of family that work in the healthcare industry and frankly, they get taken out to dinners all the time. And it's like, Hey, we take you out to dinner. Maybe you remember that we sell this drug and yeah. you know, you could start recommending it to people. So that's a problem too, but we don't have to get into that. Yeah. Let's get back to, well, hold on. I, before we get to drug use, it's not healthy or safe uh, because that's often what, what people say. Um, can I ask you, how, what would you consider to be advertising towards children? <laughs> Okay. Good question. Very good question. So I'd consider advertising towards children, anything that would be, I mean, I mean, I guess this is vague, but I can give some examples then anything that, you know, would be reasonably attractive to a child. So an example of this is if you have really colorful gummies in strawberry, mango, and peach flavor that are in the shapes of, of cute little animals like a dog and a cat. And, you know, it says really yummy and it has all these really bright colors. Kids are going to want that. Like kids know like that, you know, those candies that they normally eat are really attractive. Um, and, 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 and kids will get into that. So that's dangerous for two reasons. Number one, um, and, and, and I know that this will not hold with everyone, and I know the counter arguments to this, but this is what I think. Um, number one, kids will grow up in, a, in an environment where they will see those products. They'll, they'll eventually learn that those are marijuana products, and they'll associate those products with something that is good, fun, and okay for, 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 for them to use because they, they, they kind of relate it to other stuff alike look similar looking products yeah um, like beer i mean you see com, uh, advertisements on beer and you're like oh shit that's how adults have good times exactly so that's one thing i know that won't hold with everyone and people will be like well adults can enjoy that too i mean even if adults i mean adults can also enjoy candy but i think it's it's of my it's of our kind of opinion that we should be really considering this policy 
as to who it harms the most, which are you know the most vulnerable populations, which are young people, and so I'm catering it to to what's probably best for them. Um, but you know, if that argument doesn't stick with people, there is a second thing that I think is much more reasonable. Um, I mean, I think that is pretty reasonable, but that's even more kind of, I think, reasonable for people to agree with, which is that, and we've seen this across the country in especially legalized states. Um, the New York Times just did a fantastic piece on it. Um, parents will buy, parents of legal age in a legal state will buy their gummies and, or, or buy, you know, a, a brownie or buy whatever, right? And their kids, and they'll put it on their, on their, on their kitchen counter and their kid, when they get home from school, will look at it think that it's a pack of gummy bears because it looks exactly like that and eat it and they'll have to go to the emergency room because they just think that it's gummy bears. A five-year-old kid isn't going to think twice when he sees an open pack of gummy bears to eat. And part of that is, you know, parental responsibility of how, how, how they store and pack and store their- I think, I mean, most of it is that, most, yeah, for right. sure. But, but I think we wouldn't have that, the degree of the problem that we have if- the products were not advertised that way. And another solution, by the way, to the parental responsibility part of this, you know, you can't, you, you know, I mean, you can make a law, but it's hard to really enforce these things. There's something really great that I'd like to point attention to that, that I can, that I'm happy to send you, Cole, um, which I think was really great. Colorado, um, they, they, they had this document that they're supposed to be giving out to people in dispensaries. It was the Colorado Department of Revenue Marijuana Enforcement Division, and it's called Use of Regulated Marijuana Concentrate. And so it's a very, it's like a four page small brochure. And it basically explains risks. It explains THC concentrates. It explains information for, for resources. You can call um, the universal THC symbol so that you know you can recognize um, products that uh, have THC in them, and so it's kind of just a briefer for people who might want to go buy something but might not know as much about the regulation and about kind of the products. And I think that those you know in states that have legalized, those are some really solid steps we can take to kind of just give that brochure out to a parent, right? So that people are actually educated to to reduce you know the number of cases in this. I don't think that's going to fix the situation. And I think legalization is the problem. I mean, that, that's what I think. But there are steps we can take to improve the situation. Yeah. I mean, I can see how you would think legalization is the problem. But even if, even if it was decriminalized, like like you said, I like gummies too. It's actually my one of my preferred edibles to make. Now, I don't have kids. But if I did, that is a situation where it's like outside of the scope and purview of legalization. I've made these at home and, and it really does become my responsibility, just like with other substances, including alcohol, bleach, rat poison, you name it. I make yeah, sure right. my kid can't consume it, you know? Um, that's so, and if, so, uh, you know, and, and point very well taken. Um, I, I think the, if, if this is an area of interest for you, the home grow is somewhere where I think we disagree on. Yeah, I think so. so we probably disagree <laughs> on the home part of this. Um, we can quickly kind of explain that um, if you want to. Well, let's, let's, before we get into home grow, we'll, we'll put a home grow in our disagree box for a second. Okay. Um, let's get back <laughs> yeah. to drug use is not healthy or yeah. safe, unless you have anything else on advertising nope. and kids. I'm good. Okay, cool. Sorry to like, I yeah, just no, want to no, make no, sure no, we no, don't no. miss it. Yeah. 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 And bro, I've got a, I've got a, a squirrel brain, if you want to say it politically correct. In other words, ah. the, the real way is uh, 
smoke weed. So it's just like, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> no, it's, I've got ADHD. So, um, pick your reason. I'll go, I'll go with that. Why I can't, uh, stay focused, but anyways, so drug use is not healthy or safe in all instances. And you talked about the fact that a lot of these drugs are presented as safe, therapeutic, spiritual, um, their historical use. Um, but to me, that's not the point. Safety is not the point. Even if all those things were true, and I know that you debate, that you just did debate some, but again, that's not the point. Eventually, somebody will find a, a chink in that armor. You know, if you set up armor that's this is safe, therapeutic, spiritual, historical, nobody's going to die, nobody's going to be affected. When you introduce a drug to a huge population, there are going to be some people that are, uh, you know, sensitive to it and maybe we find that they haven't been used for as long as, as we thought or maybe they don't work therapeutically and yeah. i'm not saying that this is what you're suggesting but a lot of people start to ask the question do we go to prohibition do we go back to prohibition and what i'm trying to emphasize is the idea of cognitive liberty it's something we talked about in the past i'm trying to emphasize people's right to explore these alternate states of consciousness whether or not they're safe therapeutic tra traditional or spiritual the point isn't that they're safe or any of these other things. The point is that if we want to live in a free society, we have to allow people to take certain amount of risks. Again, safety is not the point. It ultimately doesn't matter to me whether or not something is safe. We have the freedom to do dangerous things if we choose. I like to ride motorcycles. I love it. My mom hates it. We're allowed to shoot guns. I purchased Tannerite, blow shit up. <laughs> You're allowed to go skydiving, bungee jumping. All of these things carry risks, but it's assumed that any adult, again, we talk, we can talk about kids and stuff, but any adult that engages in these activities are aware of these risks. With the amount of misinformation around here, you know, I can understand. And we look, we're going to take on something that I was wrong about last time I talked to you. I'm not afraid to admit when, when I'm wrong. There you go. No, I'm not either. Um, either. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think that when we're talking about adults living in a free society, you know, people can bring up what about the kids and all these things. But it's like we're adults in a free society. We should be protecting our kids. And if we're not, that is a problem. I think we all agree on that, you know. So, yeah. And so I see where you're coming from. Um, <clears throat> I think this is the part of the argument that we are kind of going to diverge on now um, and, and disagree uh, regarding the cognitive liberty stuff. Um, you know, I, like that. So from my perspective, that sounds all good and, you know, let people do what they want to do. But with drug use, there are a number of factors that I think make it different. Than other things. So let's take the example of a motorcycle since like you brought that up, right? So firstly, when you drive a motorcycle, legally you cannot be impaired. So you have to be in a, in a state where you actually can do it. Not only can you not be impaired, but you uh, can, you have to have a license, you have to have you know, a license, you have to actually train for that. You have to, you know, purchase like, or you should purchase, there's insurance options available um, for you and other drivers on the road, you know, theoretically, hopefully have insurance for themselves. Um, so that say, you know, and, and the cars around them are also built to be, you know, somewhat at least we hope again, safe in any accident. And I think that's inherently different than drug use. And here's why 
if you're talking about someone alone in a room with themselves, you know, maybe let's say they're like have a trip and they have like a trip sitter or something, right? Okay. And they're just in their own apartment. That may be only harmful to them, right? Like that may be, if, if any negative consequences come, like they're taking that risk. Um, and, and, and for marijuana, we say, look, the best public policy is not to bang down the door of that guy who's, who's smoking pot and like haul him off to jail. Like that is not good public policy and has not been going well, right? We agree on that. Drug use isn't just about liberty for yourself because it is inherently connected, just empirically it's been connected to many other people. When you use drugs and you are impaired, you make decisions that oftentimes affect others. More than one in five crimes in this country, the root of them is drug use. That doesn't mean that all drug, look, I, I, I was a drug user. That doesn't mean that all drug users are a criminal. That's not at all what this is to say. Can but you, a lot, but but can a you lot of, go ahead, sorry. Oh yeah, but a lot of times, you know, whether it's getting money for drug use, um, whether it's actions you do while impaired, uh, you know, it's something like 40% of violent crime involves alcohol, right? You, you make decisions that do affect others and oftentimes because you're impaired or because you are, are you know, fueling an addiction. And so I don't think that ex, you know, having policy that actually would allow for and facilitate the expansion of drug use um, is all about in, individual liberty and cognitive liberty for yourself because we just know that that has ripple effects on others Crime is one example. And the final point about this is, um, and it's kind of actually connected to the last conversation. There was an article by this, she just became a New York Times columnist, Maya Salovitz. She's kind of this, she's in recovery actually, but she's kind of this pro-drug legalization, um, pro-harm reduction type person. And she wrote an article against involuntary drug treatment, right? And so she said, voluntary treatment is better than involuntary drug treatment, so we should just do that. You know, I say that they're two separate populations. Of course, everyone wants voluntary treatment. Who wouldn't, right? But what about the guy who who commits a crime or, or has a you know, uh, you know, to fuel a drug addiction? What's the most you know who doesn't want treatment? We you can't just like let them go and 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 go on to you know harm society more. But is the most compassionate thing to kind of give them treatment even if it's involuntary or th throw them away in prison without rehabilitation? And so I just think like that's an example also of how we need to set, we can't just say, you know, go free and we don't have structures for any of this stuff. We have liberty. We need regulations. We need structures to actually be able to react and respond. And I'm not saying you're saying we don't, but respond to, to kind of these complicated situations that come up. And, and it's just not all about the individual. So I, I, I guess I kind of just disagree with you there. If you have kind of a response to that, um, I, I, I don't know how, how you like would critique what I was just saying. Uh, yeah, I, it's just that like, so, you know, people will say, uh, oftentimes we need to expunge all nonviolent cannabis offenses. And it's like, oh, wait, but because he was violent, he still needs a cannabis charge. I thought we agreed that cannabis is, you know, shit, right? So that's where I'm coming from. You know, you pointed out and you said, and I'm not disputing that a lot of violent situations could cause, could involve alcohol. But one of the things you said, a lot of violent crimes the root cause is drugs and i just whether or not that's true i i don't know if you've got a stat for that yeah. mm -hmm. my point is 
violence or crimes would continue to be crimes, even if the drugs were legalized. And so if they involved alcohol, I mean, that would be part of the conversation, but it wouldn't be that it's like, you know, you got in a fight. Okay. Now you're also getting in trouble because you were high on weed. It's like, but the problem actually was that I hurt somebody and whether or not you want to say that my paranoia caused me to fight this person or, or whatever. I don't, I think that's kind of really hard to say. Oh, is that the link you were? Yeah. Uh, so, so there's, so there's basically, uh, there's, there's, uh, so this so is for the, dr- can, the can, drug use, uh, being a root cause of violence. Is that well, what I this can, link so, is for? So that's, so that's, uh, that's one of them. And then another thing is this is, so this is from the prison policy initiative, which is just like a very big group dealing with these kind of issues and, and their report of, uh, analyzing the Bureau of Justice, um, showing that 21% of people sentenced in state prisons and local jails are incarcerated for crimes committed to obtain drugs, uh, to obtain drugs or money for drugs um, and 14% of those incarcerated for violent crimes reported that they had committed their most serious offense for drug related reasons. So, so my, so I agree with you, Cole, like, uh, and, and I think that's, that's a very solid argument. Like it wouldn't mean just cause drugs are legal that we treat violent crimes fueled by drugs differently. I get that. What I'm more saying is like, how can we be proactive? I think that when you legalize drugs, more people use those drugs. So if you increase the rates of people using drugs, you're increasing the rate of addiction. Not the, so you're increasing the number of people struggling with addiction, and thus you're increasing the rate of those crimes that are, you know, that are being fueled by addiction. So I'm I'm not disputing the reality that they would still be a violent crime. I'm more saying, how can we reduce that number? I think legalization will will, will increase it. Yeah. And I look, one of the things that people give gave me crap for last time and will probably give me crap for this time is that uh, I actually more or less agree with you that commercialization of cannabis is a, a problem. It might be for a different reason, though. So let me just say there's a and this relates to our conversation about decriminalization, which I think we're about to get knee deep into. Um, there's a separation between the culture, what I call the cannabis culture and, and the policymakers. Capitalism, the corporate corporatization or the commercialization of cannabis, in my opinion, and I think you'd agree on this one, is the only reason that it's becoming legal. Yeah. The only so cannabis started with hippies in the county counterculture asking for it to simply be legal, which that's my argument that I'm gonna make today. I just want it to be legal. When they when those hippies were having their protests, they weren't saying we want weed to be legal and we want stores to sell it and we want the stores to have these. Pro-. No, they just kept it at I don't want to be in jail anymore for this. Right. And so that's that's the core of my argument. But now you have people that go to business schools with venture capital connections that allow them to spend millions and millions of dollars to hire lobbyists. They play the game like a capitalist. And as we see, the laws do change. And I think that's unfortunate because I feel like that's where you, like you guys are almost on target with your criticisms of the industry. Um, like you focus on the com- the commercialization and the problems, but it seems like you'd never focus on the fact that it's like the cannabis legalization movement lost its direction. It's it's especially tragic for the people that have put in the time that have gone to jail that have been affected by these policies and largely continue to be affected by these policies that they're not going to benefit from this. Instead, it's the people that went to business school that are doing absolutely anything they can 
to flip product for profit. And that includes lying about the way they sell the product, which is one of the things we recently talked about on the show. So that's, that's actually a fantastic point um, that I, I like you're right in line there. So I, I don't have um, all the names off the top of my head. So I apologize, but this is kind of the story. And I just think it's interesting how it, how it developed with marijuana legalization. So um, Cole, you, you may know this or not. I'm sure many of your listeners actually know this because uh, what they're interested in, but um, so there was um uh, you know, the, the, the real start of the, like the counterculture legalization movement in this country was by um, a guy in California. I don't know why I think his last name was like Eggheimer or something. It had something to do. It's something like that. I don't think that was his name. I tried to look it up, but I don't think that was his name. Anyway, there was this guy and he basically like smoked a joint in city hall in some city in California. And obviously in like the sixties and that wasn't legal. So I think he got arrested for that. Um, and he, he was like, wait, this should be legal. Um, and so he, he kind of started to try and fight back and, and was approached by this lawyer and he was a conservative right wing libertarian, um, not, not a hippie at all, um, lawyer who wanted to take on the case and actually started the first marijuana legalization group in the country formed to kind of fight this legally. And it was started by a conservative. And this guy did not like that direction. The guy who smoked the joint. He said, I just, I, I don't need this to be this whole, you know, like, I, I don't need this kind of like, you know, the suits getting involved, right? The people who wear the suits. And I, you know, this is, this is something that I like kind of more of a hippie and, and believed in. Um, and so he actually declined to work with him. So he actually backed out. The guy who basically started the legalization, the movement backed out of it because from the get-go didn't like the way it was going. Um, and that's the way that the legalization movement went. So there was were that kind of core of like, right, you said the hippies who kind of lasted for a while. But as we've seen, and I think it's undeniable, that kind of core has 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 dwindled, right? Has, has, has kind of tapered and, and it's been replaced by people who literally take cannabis business classes. Like there are classes in business schools for cannabis. Right. I think people would be like rolling in it. You know, some people would be rolling in their grave from the early movement if they saw that. And so while I don't agree with legalization, um, I think that I do agree that the initial motivation has been perverted and um, been perverted for the worse. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but this is going to be my uh, segue into where I think we disagree a lot. It's I think that and you can you can dispute this, but I think that you're not helping at all. Sam, Sam's not helping with, with the idea at one, I'll just name one thing specifically, if you'd yeah. like to start the fact that you guys will not simply say decriminalize cannabis. You have to go out of your way to say decriminalize small amounts of cannabis. Well, I think, yeah. And I think we had uh, a similar conversation last night. I think this, yeah. Oh yeah. One of the biggest points that we disagree on, <clears throat> um, so for anyone listening um, to this, like if they didn't get to it last time or this is their first time around hearing me, um, I, I'd be happy to go into that you know, quickly again. So at SAM, we believe that we should be decriminalizing the low level possession of marijuana. And that's very clear. And the reason that we say that is because there is a difference in just the population that that is that has right like just a, a couple joints on them and it has a ton of marijuana right the people who have lots of marijuana on you know 
whether it's in their car or whatever, like those, those are like the dealers. Like I'm talking about like a lot. I'm talking not, not just enough for personal possession, right? Um, we don't want to protect or, or, or let away drug dealers. We, we, we are not in that. We don't support that. So we do believe in criminal penalties for, for, for selling drugs. Um, but uh, for, for someone who, you know, is, is, is using drugs and for people who are just, you know, like I said, have, have a joint in their pocket, whatever, just smoking a bowl that we, if, if, if anything, if any intervention necessary, we'd rather intervention treatment. Yeah. So that's, that's where we, so, and you have your own thoughts on this. I do. Uh, my thing. So I just, so you just said that you, that, that you do support criminal penalties for selling it, but I'm looking on your Wikipedia page. Uh, not that this disagrees with what I just said. It, it's a separate point. Yeah. Um, you advocate for the civil penalties for cannabis yeah. use, which is what some call decriminalization, along with mandated treatment, prevention, education, and awareness. That one is an interest. That's an interesting idea because a lot of times you guys call uh, cannabis and the drug movement addiction for profit. Somebody could easily argue, though, that <laughs> what you're proposing for is addiction for profit. And I know why you probably disagree with that statement because you, you you see it out of like, how is me helping you for profit? But the point is, is that those services do cost money, right? Yeah. So, 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 so those services do cost money. Firstly, those services aren't always private. Those services, you know, drug, drug rehabilitation and oftentimes, right. Those, um, so, so the, the, the services, like let's talk about involuntary treatment or like mandated treatment, right. Um, the, the way that we see that often manifest is through like drug courts, right? So if someone has a drug offense, um, they don't, you know, this is what we support. They, they get redirected to a drug court instead of a typical court. And that drug court specializes in drug-related offenses. And the idea is they want people to go on a better path. They want people to actually get help if they need the treatment. And so they, they send them that way instead of just pure incarceration. So it's the, it's the idea that we can rehabilitate. Um, and, and, and that is oftentimes, like I said, facilitated through a drug court. A drug court isn't a private interest, right? A drug court is, is public. Um, it is, a, you know, just like part of the judicial system. Uh, yeah. so, so I, so I, I don't see that playing into the kind of addiction for profit, which is much more, um, the, the industry that is totally private. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, there are plenty of drug courts that function today. My buddy just passed one. I made the joke that, uh, he should put, he got a certificate for it. I'm like, you should put that in your office. Wouldn't that be hilarious? You go into office. There's like, Oh, he's got his associate's degree. He's got his bachelor's degree. He passed drug court. Passed drug court. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he did not find it as funny as I, as I found it, yeah, but I don't see him have been, he didn't benefit. He, he continued to use drugs throughout drug court. And in fact, use synthetic urine to pass every drug test. It just seems like people, I get what you're saying where it, sometimes involuntarily involuntary treatment is needed, but you've always heard about the thing where it's like, you can't help somebody unless they want to help themselves. So, so yeah, right. So, and, 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 and I do kind of partially like, I, I well, I, I agree with that statement generally, but the reason that it's different for drugs and the reason that there is research actually showing that involuntary treatment can be as effective as voluntary treatment is because oftentimes people, you know, if you are in, the depth of a drug addiction and right. you are 
high 24 seven, your perception of reality and your life is totally distorted. I mean, we call it sobering people up and kind of, you know, getting them to see things more clearly, right? So I think part of the reason that this can be effective is because once you kind of get people off of a drug, this won't always happen, won't always happen, but maybe they, they, they will have a, a more transparent view of life and be able to see, you know, if there's a mismatch in priorities and giving them kind of the freedom to actually soberly, literally soberly look at their life and, and look at the direction that it's going. And so in that way, addiction really fuels that cycle because some people are just unable to, to even want the help that they might actually want, but, but drugs are just impairing their minds so much. Well said. Um, I, I get where you're coming from is what I mean to say by that. Like your, what your logic is, if I could say it back to you to yeah. see if I understand um, part of a conversation, right? Making yeah, sure we're yeah. understanding each other. Uh, you're saying that when people get caught in a cycle, that's where I was doing this. I wasn't telling you to wrap it up. I was going, Oh no, Oh no. I actually did. That. I, that's what I thought. <laughs> you knew what I was saying? Yeah, yeah. They get caught in a cycle and um, it's hard to break a cycle. I mean, we were talking about dependence and stuff at the top of the hour, uh, the top of the show. And I, I guess I can, I can get that point and why voluntary treatment might be handy. I just, again, it goes back to the idea of freedom and it's just a weird idea. The first, like you brought this up last time. You're like, like if a person has a join or if they've got this, then it's like, they're obviously personal users, but it's just weird to me that there's a line. And yeah, when I, we cross it, I think that it's just, it's just like, and I, I mean, I think like lines aren't perfect. Um, I just think it's like, yeah, I know you don't like this when or maybe it's not you that I'm thinking of, but if you don't like this, tell me, uh, uh, I like to compare it to alcohol where it's like, if you pulled me over with a bunch of alcohol, it, you wouldn't even question like, are you going to be selling this? It's like, well, I also think it's like, I mean, I think it's a little, uh, different because like the, because alcohol is almost totally uh, sold in the regulated market, right? Like it's it, much larger share of it is sold in a legal regulated market than, than marijuana. Um, so I think that that's just a different question. Also, also there's like, uh, and, and, and the whole point is right. Like we don't want to get to with marijuana where we are with alcohol. Like that, that, that's, that's my whole thing, right? Like alcohol causes so many so, so many problems aside from the deaths that it causes because you know people will say all these things about how you can't die from marijuana which is like like a more complicated question and not totally true um but you know with with alcohol right like the social problems that alcoholism has caused the you know, drunk driving all this stuff like like we don't want to get to that place but marijuana is just i don't know i, I view and i get what you're saying but i view that we should treat every drug differently Every drug has a different place in cultures. Every drug has a different place legally in society and has different kind of patterns of use and rates of addiction and methods of use. So I just think we should kind of like treat them differently. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me just try to boil it down to this though, because this is, this is really what it comes down to, man. Yeah. Are you saying that police should be involved? It, obviously for non-licensed cell, like, yeah. I, 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 I don't mean to say, obviously I'm picking up that that's what you're saying. Yes. Definitely for sell. It just seems weird that for cultivation and possession, cause they do go hand in hand. And for you to say like that 
it's just tough for me when you say like, oh, this person has a lot. So they're obviously a dealer. Like makes me wonder if like you pulled me over. Cause like I fucking travel with a lot. <laughs> like I've got, I've got a, you know, I grow myself and, um, I, I would rather have more than less. <laughs> yeah. It's really what it comes down to. I usually don't even end up consuming everything that I bring with me, but I bring more than, you know, what's needed. Um, and it just is troubling to me that, that, I'm glad that the goalposts have moved and we're, we're talking about decriminalization for low level possession. Cause it took a while for society in general to get there, but now we're yeah. like past that. I'm glad that like you, you're considered my, uh, the, the opposition of, of cannabis yet you share some core beliefs of like, well, maybe we shouldn't throw people in jail for this. It's just, it's, there's like, there's this, break there. And I think it's just that line. And I get it. Like, I don't mean to, man. I also don't mean in any way, a, like a personal affront to you. Oh, I don't take it personally. Yeah, and I, I think it's like, look, I get what you're saying. I'm not saying every person who has a certain level is a dealer. It's just, it boils down to this. Public policy is hard. Public policy with millions, hundreds of millions of people in one country is even harder. And we have to draw lines somewhere for, 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 for any, anything, right? Lines have to be drawn in any public policy. And, and I, so it's I, about I just, the logic ahead. of like, it's, it's like, we don't want to protect the dealers. So dealers are likely to have more on them. That doesn't mean that everyone is necessarily a dealer, but that's where the line should be drawn because of that. That's kind of like how we frame it. And it's not, it's not like a cure-all, it's not perfect, but it's kind of like the best we've got to emulate our values. Sure. I agree that lines should be drawn. I think that's one of the things you're gonna get out of me that you won't get out of most advocates. Um, like, I agree that advertising, you shouldn't be able to advertise any drug. I agree. You shouldn't be able to drive under the influence of a drug. A lot of people say I drive better when I, um, you know, uh, I don't believe that that's okay. I don't think that we should be accepting of more intoxicated drivers. You know, I, I don't agree that it should, we, we've kind of made this point. We, yeah. we both believe there should be lines. It's just where those lines are. And again, I'll wrap up this, this one by saying, cause really everything falls into this basket. It's possession, it's home cultivation. Um, I just simply don't think police should be involved in it unless there's a reason for police to be involved. So if there is a robbery, I mean, somebody is stealing something from somebody else that is clearly a crime. Somebody's yeah. hurting somebody else. Somebody's giving drugs to a minor. You know, those yeah. are problems in so many other areas. And so we've got these lines drawn. It's just like, you know, you talk about sticking with our values. I really wish we could. I really wish we could stick with our values. But with that said, I also understand that part of our values are flawed. We're talking about the acceptance of alcohol and, and yeah. everything else. So it's like we don't want to repeat the problems of the past. But with that said, I just, uh, this is where I'll close. I think one of the number one problems of the past, aside from people hurting themselves or potentially hurting others on drugs is the fact that we as a society decide that we are going to hurt people for, for using drugs. And by that, I mean, imprisoning them. Like, I just don't think it. And I think you agree with that, that prison is not a, a place for rehabilitation or anything else, yeah. but it's just like the, the idea that that would continue that 
lives could potentially continue to be ruined for, for just possessing a certain amount of plant matter. And when you really think about it, and I want to boil it down to this too. Like I just, this is something that I saw on a podcast. I think I watched a podcast with Hamilton Morris, which a lot of these things I've said have kind of more or less like been swirling in my route uh, around in my head from Hamilton Morris. I, I like how he states things and everything else. Um, if it were just you and I on the world, like that really exposes just you and me, Jordan, like yeah. just you and me, buddy. And we'd give, we'd be good friends. But if you told me like, Hey, you can't, you can't do that. And it didn't affect you. I'd be like, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, 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 and, and I get that. I think it's like when we boil it down to that level, that's why it seems so frustrating. Uh, uh the continued criminalization. Of I cannabis. guess. And, and I get that. And, and the close on my end is, I guess I'd say that's not the world we live in. Fair. Might be a more, it might be a more fun world, Cole, but you know, um, with just you not, and I, yeah, just you and me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. We'd have a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, it's, but you know, it's, it's not that. Um, so, you know, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I love this conversation and, and the reason, and you know, I hope I, and I hope like, and I, and I, and I'll, I'll, go out and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I can, I'm speaking for you too here. Like, you know, the benefit of this kind of these conversations is just like, you know, we just talked for the past 20 minutes about decrim and this kind of stuff and in a, in a nice civil way, but it, it not only shows how civil conversations can exist and should happen and are actually beneficial, but especially in the marijuana space, it shows that these issues are, it's a really rich, policy area like this oh, is yeah. this is an area in which a lot of ideas are swirling around and uh and, and there are a lot of different options that we can go for in terms of how to proceed on marijuana policy and i think a lot of people who are into marijuana policy uh whether they're really pro-legalization whether they're anti-legalization or somewhere in the middle um can do appreciate this but the wider public i think might not really understand you know just just your average joe doesn't really pay attention to pot issues, might have a ballot, you know, referendum saying, should we legalize pot or not, right? Like they might not be paying attention to these issues and might not think that this is really a rich area. It's a pretty simple yes or no. Um, but, but this is complicated and there are a lot of nuances. And, it, and, it, and, and the thing I love about drug policy um, is it really, it really becomes a discussion about your values, you know, and, and the way that you see the world and, and kind of where you're more compasses and where well to be treated or to not be treated. And, and I just love that conversation. So I, I hope that people get that kind of out of this. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, people weren't happy the last time I brought you on the show. I'm going to continue to be friends. Yeah. What, what were your, what were your, did people didn't love it? Oh, it's the general, like, Oh, are you going to give this person a platform? It's like, as if I didn't push back on you. Yeah, no, I know exa exactly. It's not like we're in total agreement. Cole isn't. Don't worry, guys. I'll Cole. I'll defend you to the audience that thinks I'm like <laughs> the next iteration of the devil. Cole is. Don't 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 shoot down Cole here. Um, yeah. I was wondering if um, we have a little bit of time left. I know. I was. I I was wondering if I could bring up a quick topic that I think is very interesting and and is something that's very it's more policy related, but it's happening now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, just to quickly wrap the, the conversation, yeah. though, you just started. I mean, it's something that happens. I'll get flack for having you on just like I got flack for having my last two guests on. Uh, my last guest uh, is a 
known and prominent uh, medical chemist and pharmacologist that says that the entourage effect, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's complete bullshit. It's a marketing um, yeah. thing from cannabis companies and he's pro cannabis. <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting is that, like you say, they don't want to hear anything that's negative against the cannabis movement, even though it's like, look, I'm on your side. So if you start shooting at me, you're in the circular firing squad. It's, it's just like, it's, I find it very strange. Just like, it's almost like how like a mother defends her child. Like mm-hmm. how like literally it's visceral. It's visceral. If there's any yeah. attack. Um, and, and I, I just, I, you know, I, I wish, um, and, 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 you know, that exists on the very anti side, you know, if you criticize, there's some very extreme people. If you criticize like efforts of the drug war, right. They'll say you're like, crazy, right? It exists on both sides. Um, But just this like very visceral reaction against any kind of discussion. It feels very much like Ford versus Chevy. It's like, I wouldn't be caught dead with prohibitionists. I wouldn't be caught dead with somebody that says that, you know, that the entourage effect isn't true. This is what I'll close with. I think I'm going to do my impression of how I think most people that listen to my, not, not actually most people that listen to my podcast. I think most people that listen to my podcast are reasonable. And if they're listening now that that proves it. Um, I think that most people, though, that I see reply to your Twitters, this is how they would start an interview with you. And I'm referencing a scene from The Office. Are you familiar with The Office? Very familiar. Very familiar? Okay, you're going to yeah. know exactly what the scene, scene I'm talking about. He sits down with Toby, and you're Toby. Sorry. Um, I'm Michael Scott. He, he says, but I'm doing an impression yeah, of, yeah. of people that, you know, reply to you. Uh, I just have some questions that I was going to ask. Um, who do you think you are? <laughs> what yeah. and then toby responds i'm toby and he's like yeah correct um what gives what gives you the right <laughs> yeah that is literally how it feels that is literally how it feels and guys everyone please i don't like being made to feel that i'm toby so you know quit, 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 with, quit with making me shit i just opened up a new can of worms yeah, for yeah, you right. um, um but hey you had a point i just yeah. wanted to wrap up the thought about conversation so I don't know, you know what? I actually think we discussed this a little last time, but there have been some developments since um, that I really love to talk about. So Cole, I'm sure we talked about Delta eight last time. Did we not? Okay. So for- I think a little uh, bit, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure most people again know Delta eight, but just very quick rundown of the policy history of Delta eight and why this is coming up right now. Um, Delta eight is similar Delta nine Delta eight THC is very similar to Delta nine THC, like just, you know, the stuff that gets you high normally. Um, but Delta eight, um, is hemp derived. So when, um, and it's, it's intoxicating, it's psychoactive, it can be addictive, similar. So when the, the, the kind of joke is that, uh, like Mitch McConnell legalized weed in 2018, right? That's the joke because, when when hemp was legal. It's not even really a joke, but continue. Yeah, it, like it's not actually. It's, I'm just saying it sounds funny, but it's literally not a joke. Um, so in, and it was inadvertent. Ever it was you know it was inadvertent. It, it was accidental. So in 2018, the 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 far, farm bill, which you know gets voted on every few years and extends for like five years or something. So it's coming up in 2023. Um, legalized hemp. Fine, you know, hemp is, you know, there are good arguments for the like industrial purposes of hemp and everything else, whatever. The way that it legalized it was it had a carve out in the Controlled Substances Act. So the Controlled Substances Act says that marijuana is illegal. So it said it added a line basically saying marijuana is illegal except for cannabis that is, you know, 
less than 0.3% THC. And that is what we call hemp. The thing is, compounds like Delta-8, there are other ones maybe less popular, THC-0, THC-A, are actually hemp-derived. So about a year after the Farm Bill's passage, people realized that they could derive a very similar drug to Delta-9 THC and sell it without any regulation in convenience stores, in gas stations. And this has been happening and states have actually tried to ban it. Um, and actually the funny thing, the reason I love talking about this is because this is the one issue that kind of unites groups like SAM and groups like Normal, you know, who we would almost never agree with upon anything. You know, uh, Virginia just tried to ban Delta-8 products and they failed. And when they failed, Normal actually put out a press release saying that they were upset that the measure failed because they don't like that the Delta-8 market is totally unregulated. So we might dislike it for maybe slightly different reasons, maybe some overlapping, but the point is that this is a totally unregulated market and actually food companies are getting involved now. This is why it's really prescient. So last week, a bunch of food manufacturers, people who manufacture products like Doritos and Oreos and the associations of, of those organizations wrote a letter to Congress basically saying, please act on Delta-8 because there are Oreos and Doritos and gummy bears, like, you know, trolleys, like those are like popular gummy, gummy worms, right? That are literally being ripped off by fake manufacturers and Delta-8 is being infused in them and being sold. And those organizations don't like their products being sold with like unregulated marijuana in them, right? Like they, that's just probably not the best look for just for them, they don't like it. So they wrote a letter actually about this. And um, there there was actually in the news um, today, uh, there, there was a letter that was sent from a congressman from Kentucky um, to the ranking member on oversight, James Comer, who uh, he sent a letter uh, to the chair, uh, Chairwoman Maloney on the oversight committee asking for a hearing to be held on the FDA's handling of Delta-8. Um, so this is something that is that is coming up, and I just wanted to talk to you about it um, with your with your listeners because I think it's an interesting area where I might where they might even agree with me. Um, you know, I don't like the, the the legal retail sale of of marijuana products, which you know I'm sure they do disagree with me on that. But I'm sure we can find some common ground on the fact that these products are not tested, they're not regulated. We don't know if they're safe. And they're being marketed in outrageous ways that ways probably most people would not be okay with even if you are okay with some marketing and advertising so it's really an issue that's coming up and the farm bill is being discussed right now and so next year the farm bill will be taken up and so we can work kind of i hope that this community can actually work together on this issue to put some stronger language in the next farm bill so that we can resolve some of these issues that were really unintended consequences yeah so it's an interesting point you bring up um, yeah, I actually saw Kevin's uh, statement earlier this week um, on uh, the announcement from the FDA. Um, and yeah, I think it was interesting. I mean, the only the only point or the only problem I had, I think, with what he said, I'm looking for the word. Where is it at? He says something about safe. They're not safe. Oh, yeah. Uh, pr by promoting and selling harmful and unsafe products. Um I don't care if they're harmful or unsafe. So that's the point. Uh, I, I, look, like, you know, uh, I always, we said it when, when we talked to, uh, 
cannabis about cannabis use disorder with another person in the past. And I think it might even be interesting to have you both on in the past or yeah. both on in the future. Cause uh, I'll send you the link to the episode. If you're interested in hearing it, yeah, it's very, sure. just like me, very reasonable acknowledges that it's real and is actually much more versed uh, in it all than myself. Cause he's kind of an academic. He was able to recite the DSM five and stuff. And, um, yeah, again, it's, it's, uh, people will always try to say, you know, this, this cannabis is safer than alcohol or that it's safe or that you can't overdose on it, which all debatable. And the last one is untrue. You can't overdose on cannabis. It's not a fatal overdose, but you can overdo it and people do it all the time. That's the horror stories anyone, you hear about, right? Has anyone has, have you ever heard of someone overdosing on cigarettes? Uh, I've heard about people overdosing on, yeah, just about anything. Caffeine. You get the point I'm making, you know, like I think people say just because you can't overdose on it means that it's safe. Like, like you you don't overdose on a cigarette, but it still has a negative effect. I very often overdose on coffee, though. I don't know where the fuck I'm saying overdose. And you know what I mean by over like overdose like you would with a drug like heroin. That would. But see, that's key, though, just like what you're talking about. There's not an overdose like that with cannabis um, like heroin. You right. There I mean? is, there isn't. But so I think people, and I, and I know you don't do this. So I think what, what some people will do is they'll say, because that doesn't exist, that means it's safe and not harmful. Correct. And I know you're not doing that at all, but yeah. I think some people go to that. And I think that's just like um, a fl- flawed logic. Yeah. And I guess just to wrap up what I was trying to say is they'll be like, oh, smoking weed is healthier than drinking alcohol. And I'm like, you know, breathing air and drinking spring water is, is, is safer and more healthy than both of those things. So, uh, yeah. And so that's that's something that's something. OK, from a personal level, that's something that gets me riled up. And when people say when people say healthier than. So yeah. If you are comparing gets me riled up too. if you alcohol and cigarettes are the two most deadly substances on earth. They kill more people as, as specific compounds. And they're not listed in the Controlled Substances Act, by the way. They're not, they're not, but, 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 they're, but they're the deadliest substances on earth because, right. in my opinion. I was just trying to make, I was trying to make the point yes, that yeah, right. on the controlled substances list, people think that it's dangerous drugs. I argue, and I know you're going to disagree with this, they're the fun drugs. Uh, the fun drugs are on the controlled substances list because you know, poison, you name it. None of those things, none of, nothing dangerous really is on the controlled substances list, you know? Well, but the, but the scheduling of drugs also has to do with potential for abuse. Yeah. So, yep. you know, like, uh, I think that's part of the reason, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's like there, there's almost nothing as dangerous as alcohol and cigarettes in terms of the amount of people that it kills per year. So, if your standard is something isn't as bad as the two things that kill more people than anything else, well, then fantastic. And that must mean it's great, right? Uh, it, do, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's just funny that people think that lighting something on fire and inhaling it is inherently healthy at all. Yeah, like, can we, can we, yeah it's like, can we get that? Like, you can make your argument for why you want it to be legal. You can make, and this is what annoys, this is why. I have trouble, and I'm sure you agree with this, with why I dislike the fact that we can't have a real debate. Because you and I might disagree at the end of the day on the fact that marijuana, whether marijuana should be legal or not, right? Like we might disagree with that, but we don't need to waste time on like disputing things that are just stupid to dispute, right? Um, I'm not sitting here on my end arguing that, you know, the war on drugs was a great thing. 
I'm not saying that that was, you know, that, that no communities of color were harmed and I'm not, right? Like, I'm not wasting my time saying that when that's not true. You're not wasting your time saying that actually smoking things is really, really healthy and can cure all illness. And you know what I mean? You're like, you're not saying that either. So I wish that we could kind of, as a, as a community that discusses these issues, like just move past those silly on either side, like, you know, discussions and get to the real nitty gritty policy. Yeah. Let's acknowledge we're using drugs and let's acknowledge that they're not all always healthy back to our, uh, to our, uh, little board that we have going, which we kind of, we kind of drifted from, but that's what happens. It's hard to kind of, we almost need somebody to have like the note, you know, I need my own Jamie, like Jamie, write that down. Uh, but (laughs) yeah. So yeah, drug use is not healthy or safe in all instances. Uh, decriminalization. I think where we disagree on decriminalization is, uh, the, um, there's like a, you have like a line possession limits, uh, possession limits. And then above, uh, home grow. Um, and I feel like those relate to, together because it's funny, you know, people in Illinois, the way that the law is written, it's beautiful. You'd probably disagree. But um, the medical cannabis cultivation law is amazing because it says any amount that exceeds 30 grams, you must keep it secured in your house. Right. Safety. You don't want people you point it out. People will bust in your house. or So you don't want to encourage that at all. And that's kind of written to the law yeah. and, and, and codified. Um but there's no possession limit for home because they've realized and acknowledged that if you're growing five plants, you're going to exceed whatever possession limit you might have. The standard is two and a half ounces. You can get it increased. Um, That's one of the things about the cannabis bill in Illinois, where I'm like, that is the way it should be. And I know that we've talked about it. You you disagree. No, and I get like, I get where you're coming from. And they have it coded though, really quick to your point, they've got it coded. So, so that I can't sell it. It's illegal for me to sell it. It's illegal for me to give it my home cultivated cannabis. So it's almost like, it's like, okay, you know, it's, I feel like that's within those lines. I think that's like, I think that's like, that's an area where I still wouldn't agree, but like an area of compromise, you know, that's like a middle ground kind of thing. Okay. Like home, you know, home grow, but without sell. Cause like the, the main reason that I oppose home grow and that we oppose home grow is what we saw with actually drug cartels moving to legal States. You know, we, no one likes cartels, right. And people say, if we legalize it, we can reduce the business of the cartels. But the cartels are actually grow, moving to legal States and, in, and growing it there where they have more direct access. Um, and, and that's actually exactly what happened in the nineties. Sam, Sam Canonis, who's a fantastic writer about drug issues, wrote about this where the drug cartels would move to different parts of the countries and to the country and sell opioids within the states. And instead of, you know, just send, sending it up sporadically, they would actually move there. Um, and, and that's what we saw with that. So, you know, maybe your solution would help, would, would help kind of combat that, right? Like what they're doing in Illinois. But uh, that's like, I think my concern. And it's just like, I, I think like with the home growth thing, correct me if I'm wrong, my concerns about it are just like way different than where you like how you think of home grow. Like the reason that you like home grow is just in a whole different like range that just whole different category of discussion about it than mine. Yeah, you, know you probably saying? yeah. Oh no, I get it. You probably like you could probably guess one of the main reasons I like it. It's because I don't have to pay for my cannabis. Yeah, really. I mean, I do with the power and the equipment I've had to buy, but it's also like a yeah stress relieving activity. Gardening, you know. Yeah. I'm not joking, man. It's just a plant, you know, it's, yeah, it really no, I is. I, no, no, I know, dude. Uh, not, it's not cannabis, but my girlfriend buys tons of plants and relaxes gardening them. Trust me, it, it 
you know, people like that kind of thing. I don't have yeah. the biggest green thumb personally, but that's just me. Um, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I think, yeah, your, your, your concern is that people will grow and sell it like they did in Colorado. And like I said to you last time, I think we would discuss this. I really believe, and I recall you disagreeing with this and, you know, that's okay. It's kind of hard to say who's right really because of the, the time period we're in. But I believe that, you know, you legalize cannabis in a state like Colorado when at that time, no other States except Washington had legalized and they hadn't, they had legalized, but they didn't sell up, set up a store like a regulated, regulated, uh, you know what I'm saying? A regulated industry yet. It was just legal to possess. Whereas Colorado, they quickly turned around and had a legal market. They also had those home grow provision provisions that allowed you to grow like what 12 plants in a house. And like you say, people bought out houses, sometimes sections of neighborhoods, cultivated cannabis and sold it within and outside of the state. That's my key point is that I, I really think it's the demand from outside of the state. You know, you see that before legalized cannabis came around there, I don't remember where the statistic is, but I do believe it's from the DEA, something like 70 to 80% of cannabis that that's found in the United States can be traced back to like Humboldt County in California because they were one of the first to kind of liberalize cannabis laws and, and cultivation laws. And to your point that happened, but to my point, I think it's because there is demand and when there's demand, somebody's going to have supply and like the only way to, I'm not saying the demand's going to go away, but if your concern is people like doing this concentrated and focused areas, my pitch was, and I know you, this is where we disagree. It's like, if it's legal everywhere, there wouldn't be that incentive. Like the reason it's, there is an incentive for the cartel to come across the border is because it's so hard to get across the border. If you set up things within the border where the cultivation is state ordained. I mean, fuck that's, that makes your job a lot easier, you know? And I know that might be to your point, but I'm just trying to be honest about it all. Yeah, no, I get it. I think, I think right for the reasons you outlined, I think I do disagree, but I also think this is, and, and this is part of like the ethos of Sam, like, so like time will tell, right? Like, like we can't accurately predict everything about this issue. Right. Yep. And, 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 and as people, you know, as, as kind of like you as more like a, like a commentator kind of on this stuff in a way. Right. Um, and me as someone who works in policy on this stuff and, and an advocate, um, you know, we, we part of our kind of jobs and our roles is, is we do have to speculate as to what we think is going to happen. And one of us may be right in one way and one of us might be right in another way. Um, but I think the the part of Sam is also just that we, we have that extra hesitancy about this because we would, because our thing is we would rather be safe than sorry. And, and that doesn't mean that the current system works of, of how we treat marijuana. That does not mean that that fully works and, and, and the, the prohibition works. It does not mean that at all, but that we would rather be safe than sorry. And I think you see that we take that more incremental approach. So um, the thing I want to end with besides, I just kind of want to, you know, shoot the shit for the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, but we did this last time. I want to try to do it again. And if you want me to go first, I can. Is there anything that gives you pause from people that you feel like you might disagree with? And I understand that this is hard to, to answer because it's hard for me to, to answer. Um, do you want me to start? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. You have an idea. Sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. One of the things that gives, gives me pause, like that makes me stop and go, Hmm, is I agree. Like commercialization of cannabis should not be our primary focus. Anytime we're talking about legalization of cannabis, the primary focus nowadays is talking about licensing and how we can license for social equity and licensing and licensing and how can we can make money and license. I'm trying to make a point that instead of, like I said earlier, it started with like the flower childs that wanted to just be like, Hey man, my dad shouldn't be in prison for smoking weed, man. You know, like that's, that's what it started off at a core level. It was never about, can we sell eighths for $60? You know, can we, put it in cartridges and charge more because it's concentrated. That's never what that movement was about. It was simply about decriminalizing. And I think your point that you make that I think is valid is that the commercialization of cannabis in many ways does more harm than good. And it just completely misses the point of, I don't think that this is what you guys say. This is my appendage to your point. Uh, I think that the commercialization of cannabis being the forefront of the argument completely misses the point of the origins of what this is supposed to be about, which is simply that we are a free country. People should not be in jail for simply possessing, possessing plant particulate or certain compounds. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and you know, like I'm, I'm glad you say that because I, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's just like, that's, not something that's super common to hear these days um, and, and coming from people, especially more on your end of this. And, and so I'm glad to hear you say that because like that's at the center of Sam's message, you know? Yeah. So real, really quick, I, cause I missed one point. I have yeah. a problem with the commercialization is forefront. The actual like decriminalization is just in the pat, like not even in the conversation really. And expungements, which is undoing the harms of the war on drugs, right? We, that's what we always say we're doing with this, right? That's everybody pitches it that way, right, Jordan? They're like, we need to legalize to undo the harm on the war on drugs. But again, all the conversation is about how can people make money off of selling this? It's not actually ever about, in my opinion, undoing the harm of the war on drugs. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yep. I agree. Yeah. Ex like, right. Exactly. Totally agree with you. Yep. Um, it's much more about the profit. Um, yeah. So, you know, so one thing that gives me pause is actually something that did come up in our conversation today that just, I, I think we, as, as an organization, we have tried to stress this. Um, but, you know, so in terms of the, the, the parental kind of responsibility, like, let, let's talk about, like, we, we mentioned kids getting into kind of edibles and that kind of thing. Right. So, I certainly still think that like the marketing and advertising and the structure of, of legalization contributes to that. But something that gives me pause is that that still isn't 100% of the picture. And that still isn't 100% of the problem um, that, you know, I talk a lot and I spend a lot of my time talking about policy and talking about the ways in which um, we we can we can shape it and change it, and there is something to be said about the value, um, you know, especially in states that have legalized about just having conversations with with parents about you know how to be you know if if you're gonna do this, what's the best way to do it? Um, I think that, and and I don't think I've ever had this attitude. I think that many people have the attitude of 
you know, oh my God, like we, we can't even entertain the idea that parents would use drugs and, and, and so, so, so we can't touch it, right? That's not how I was raised. Actually, actually, I credit a lot of my recovery to being raised in an environment where I openly talked about things with my parents. So I felt comfortable coming to them when I did have a problem. And I don't think that's the environment we should promote now. There's, so there's actually an, an, an a great thing, for example, that's actually being done about this, which, which I just wanna kind of give like a quick shout out to. Um, there's a guy, he actually helps lead our, our Minnesota branch of Sam. His name is, is, is a guy is great. His name is Dr. Ken Winters. And he, he leads this thing. It's called the Oregon Research Institute, ORI. And they actually developed a program that we helped write, um, like write up um, to, to, because we recognize that this is something we want to tackle more that targets parents that already smoke medical marijuana. So it's, it's, it's not saying, oh my God, you're terrible for smoking pot and blah, blah, blah. That's not how we're approaching it. We're approaching this program for parents to teach them in a non-biased way, just the facts about marijuana and how, and tell them if you're going to smoke medical marijuana and you do have children, what is the best way to do so? And the best way to handle it so that, you know, it's still a positive environment regarding, you know, regarding like teaching about drug use and, and kind of in an unbiased way to your kids um, so that you don't unduly influence them in one way or another that could be negative. So we talk about, you know, how do you make it so that your kids feel comfortable talking to you about drugs? How do you make it so that, you know, kids also know that smoking marijuana isn't always 100% healthy, right? And that just because you do it doesn't mean they have to do it too. Um, and so that conversation is something that I think we should be having. And I think there are some people who are maybe especially conservative on this issue that think that that conversation just opens the door to, to normalizing drugs. And I actually think it is a necessary conversation to have because drug use will happen. And so let's deal with the consequences to best mitigate them. So that is something that does give me pause. And I think that we should do even more of. Very fair. Um, and to your point, I'm actually pretty proud of Illinois for doing this. You'll have to check this out uh, maybe in your spare time. Let's talk cannabisillinois.com. Um, yeah. They've got infographics for parents and mentors, new moms, um, you know, using marijuana. If you're under 21, the health risks for young adults, brain problems, lung problems, your record could be affected, your mental health. There's more facts. I mean, does this make you happy? Because I feel like all the time you guys talk about the fact that this isn't part of the conversation. And this is something that the state of Illinois made sure to uh, launch, you know, as soon as we um, uh, legalized. And it, yeah. it includes, you know, best, you know, kind of pointers. I'm not saying that these are surefire ways to use cannabis, but the fact that they're giving out some of the, I mean, you were talking about the value of information and the pamphlets that you guys have like lobbied for in the past in Colorado. Um, I just think all this thing, all these things are good. And uh, maybe it gives you faith to see that, that, you know, it's not like the state of Illinois. Th this is one example. This is my state. I don't know how other states are doing it. I don't know if they have any, um, you know, focus on, on looking at any of this stuff. Um, they talk about the fact that you should not be using <laughs> during pregnancy. Oh yeah. That's a big um, one, which yeah. is a big one. I don't know if you, you know, I just feel like that's something I constantly see being said about the cannabis movement that there's just not enough out there. And I had to give Illinois some credit on that front for publishing some information about, 
you know, responsible use, but the effects of, of younger use. I think that's another thing we could put on the board of what we agree on. You shouldn't use yeah. drugs until you're 25 if you're going to use them at all. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, yes, I totally agree. And, um, and, and there, you know, there's, there's actually, and, and there were even, there was a guy who's a, a, a state representative from my home state, Connecticut, and he's a Democrat and he voted against the legalization bill in Connecticut. Um, and the reason he voted against it was actually because the limit wasn't 25, right? Because, mm. because he actually said, and you know, I still wouldn't have voted for it, but he said that he would have voted for it if the limit was 25, because he knows as a doctor that brain development uh, doesn't finish until 25. So, uh, and, and, you know, Illinois, like, you know, definitely big shout out for that. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, it, it still doesn't change my opinion on, on, on whether legalization should happen, but I think Sam, like, you know, we don't go into states that have legalized and try and like roll back the legalization. It's a terrible waste of effort, you know, waste of time. I wanted to take a moment to address a statement that Jordan just made. I'm specifically referring to Jordan saying something to the effect of we, Sam, don't go into states that have legalized and try to roll back legalization. For the record, Sam has, in my opinion, taken steps in at least one state to institute policies that limit or roll back medical cannabis patients' ability to purchase concentrate. I'm specifically referring to the efforts that they have made in the state of Colorado. Sam board member Ben Corrett testified in support of a bill that limited the amount of medical cannabis concentrate that can be purchased in one day. As most of my listeners know, I don't believe cannabis is legal until you can possess, use, and cultivate as much cannabis as you want, need, or please. Setting that aside, I think that sick people should have access to whatever they need. I think it's important to understand that medical cannabis patients with debilitating syndromes or terminal conditions, more than anybody else, often need to use concentrated products for a variety of reasons. I think it's absolutely insane that the state of Colorado limits medical cannabis patients at all. Among many people, in my opinion, you can thank Sam for what has happened with regard to restrictions on cannabis concentrates for medical cannabis patients in the state of Colorado. To back up everything that I've said, I've included citations to a press release that Sam published regarding the restrictions that were being put in place. I view this as a rollback. Enjoy the rest of the show. Having, promoting things like that, like you just showed me, to educate and to provide real kind of the facts about marijuana use is is exactly the type of thing that we that we seek to promote in legal state. So so you know definitely big big props for them for doing that. Yeah. Hey, I just noticed we're at the top of your time. You got a you got a few more minutes maybe to just close. So you got to go. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. No. No. I got a few more minutes cool. to close. Yeah. Cool. Well, I just wanted to ask you, man, just to like we can, you know, back out of some of these topics we've been discussing and I'd love to have you on again in the future. If you're interested, of course, uh, whether or not it's just you, you one-on-one, or like I said, with that other person that's knows about cannabis use disorder, I'll get you that link. Um, so you can check it out. I think you'll enjoy the, the podcast. Um, what do you do uh, (laughs) every day? Um, like, so not at your job, I'm just saying like you, we've established that you're plugged in and you read as much about cannabis, I think, as I do maybe. More. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you, I'm totally, we're totally t- stepping back. Like, do you enjoy playing badminton? Like, what do you do in your daily life, Jordan? 
Badman is, I did play that. I fucking love Badman. So I, that's why I threw it out there. But Badman is pretty sick. I will say, I, I do like Badman. Um, although that wouldn't have been the first thing that came to mind. Um, so, uh, what are things that I like? So, because you're like a young, you're, you're my age, aren't you? You're like 26, 25. No, man. How I old am, are you? I just finished my junior year in college, man. I'm 21. Ah, oh, you son of a bitch. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so that makes it like, even better, dude. That makes it even better. You're in your like, you're in so your, I'm here, so I'm at, yeah, I'm in college. Um, I, uh, so, okay. I can't find a way to say this without kind of sounding like a jerk. I do like chess that I, I know I sound, I just, that just sounds like, <laughs> no, 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 like online chess. Like, okay. okay. I watched, um, did you ever watch, did you watch the queen's gambit? We started watching it and uh, we haven't finished it. Okay. So I watched that like when it came out. It's only because Tiger King 2 came out. That's- <laughs> <laughs> so I watched The Queen's Gambit and then I was like, you know what? Chess like is cool. Chess, I knew how to play chess and I was like, chess is pretty cool. So I went on like chess.com, which is like the main online chess thing. I just played a game and then I got like, I literally got addicted to chess. I was playing chess over like quarantine for like, eight hours a day. It was nuts, man. So huge fan of chess, still learning. Um, I watch YouTube videos about chess all the time. So chess is like my, one of my big things, um, that, uh, and, uh, my, my roommate has gotten me quite more into the NFL. Um, I, before I came to college, I, I wasn't really as into it and, and MBA. And so now I, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, since you're in DC, right? So, uh, no. So, in terms of who I'm a fan of, I don't really have an allegiance. I guess my only allegiance basketball wise is like the Washington Wizards, right? Cause like that's, the, you know, but this kind of ties into the drug stuff. I do have a favorite NFL team and I will say I liked them before all of the shit hit the fan. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, I become a Raiders fan even before Gruden. Before the Gruden stuff, so before before the rugs, so all that, before all that, I became a Raiders fan. And, and the reason I became a Raiders fan is because uh, uh, of Derek uh, Waller and Max Crosby, two players on their team. I mean, Derek Waller is one of the best players on the team. And they are both in addiction recovery. And Derek Waller has the, the, the like, I think it's the Waller Foundation. And he does a ton in the recovery field. Uh, he actually, I don't know if you know his story, but it's really inspiring. He, he actually was on the Ravens, I think. Um, and he was just on drugs all the time. He was really struggling and he actually OD'd in, in like his van or something and he almost died. And, uh, then he cleaned himself up and got sober and has remained sober since and has been a huge advocate in the NFL and, and came back and just became a superstar. So I was just really inspired that there was a player out there who had, you know, the, uh, uh, some, a story of addiction and recovery like I did. And I bought his jersey and I just started following him. And so naturally I started following the team. So that's, that's why I like the Raiders. But uh, yeah. so, so, no, I enjoy that. And I'm just a student, man. I'm, I'm graduating in December. I'm graduating a semester early. So I'm doing some summer classes. Um, do you have any friends in your area? Like, do you guys do anything? Yeah. Do you go out to dinner no friends, and stuff? Actually, yep. Yeah, not a single, no, no, I have no friends. friends. Yeah, I do have friends. Even though my school is ranked the most, the most liberal in the country and my position on marijuana maybe doesn't make me the most popular person on the planet. Um, <laughs> even though I am a Democrat, um, <laughs> there, uh, 
uh, yeah, you know, DC is awesome. I mean, I, I mean, I, there's so many things. To, so I live literally, um, I guess this is kind of funny too. I'll just go for it. So literally outside my window, I'll show your viewers. It's literally, um, well, hold on. Do you want to show them where you live? Oh, dude. Dude, I don't care. I'm not telling them my address. I don't. Okay. It, well, some people it, figure that shit out. They found Shia LaBeouf's flag when he posted, you know, yeah, so, so just trying uh, to be safe for you. Oh yeah. I know. I agree. The so internet. The national cathedral is very close to me. So that's all I'll show my viewers. Um, they won't, they won't be able to figure that out. Um, but the national cathedral is, is, is very, is right there. So I, I go there all the time and, um, I, uh, you know, I, I do, yeah. So I, I, you know, there, there are good things on campus and actually, um, do you know, so actually funny enough, shout out Illinois. Do you know Saba? No. So huge Illinois rapper, Chicago, check him out. Awesome. S A B A. He's fantastic. So okay. Saba, um, is your best friend. No, oh. <laughs> he, he performed. So I go to American university. He performed at like our sprint end of semester, like concert. Uh, so, which was really sick. So, you know, stuff like that. What, cool, man. what, what about you? What, what are, besides, besides the, all this stuff? Yeah. Uh, what, what's your, what, what are other things you do? It's a good question. Um, I like to ride my motorcycle. You know, it's funny. People never ask me personal questions like this. So this is like probably the first time I've gotten a little personal like this before, but uh, I like riding my motorcycle. I don't know what my computer's doing right now. Whatever. I'll just push that to the side. Um, I like riding my motorcycle. I like going on walks uh, in nature. There's a lot of good forest preserves where I live. Sometimes we'll go on a drive though, you know, like most recently, we went to uh, Turkey Run in Indiana. You may not know of it, but it's a, a, a larger park that I've always heard about, but never been able to go to. Um, so, yeah, I like doing that. I go out of my way sometimes too much to spend time with family. Like it, what I mean by that is like I feel like I burden myself because I'm like, like, for example, my grandma has like health issues and it's like I always try to make it over there like all the time but then i look at like the rest of my like my other cousins and stuff and it's like they're never over there but the way that i look at it it's like you know when she dies or whatever or any family member i'm using my grandma as an example yeah um i'll at least be able to say that like i did go out of my way to go and spend time with them yeah. and, and yeah. stuff like that so i don't know the reason i say if it sounds like i'm conflicted on it is because sometimes like i will cancel personal things because i'm like you know just something in my head, especially these last few months, it's like cherish the people that you love around you, cherish your friends and make sure that, that you, that you give them what you can, because you never know when you're not going to have them. You know, yeah. I don't know why, but that's been heavy on my heart and, and shoulders lately. And so, yeah, uh, I try to spend time with family and, um, a lot of my time spent though in the summer is just riding my motorcycle around random places and, uh, trying to stay, trying to stay out of trouble. My motorcycle is pretty fast though. So I've gotten pulled over a few times, but you know, I, I'm, I, so, I mean, you're, you're, you're tempting me with the motorcycle thing, man, because I have oh, your girlfriend's going to kill me. Yeah, no, 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 no. She's already, <laughs> she's already ready to kill me because of this. So I don't know if you have these in Illinois, but do you have like the revel, um, scooters, the, 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 well, you know, okay. Well, you know, scoot, yeah. like, but they have mopeds. Oh, really? It was called Revel, R-E-V-E-L. That's the brand we have in DC. And they're like, 
literally <clears throat> they're mopeds that you can just, it's scary how easy it is. <laughs> like you just have to have a driver's license and like you can go. So wow. you answer like 20 questions like that you can have unlimited attempts at like, you know, should you like, you know, for, for like, but it's like no real training um, is necessary. And so you could just get the app in 10 minutes, you can be riding it and it goes 30 miles an hour. It's not super fast, but it goes 30 miles an hour. I mean, you, you ride in a city street in it. Like you can ride. Oh in yeah. Dude, I've, so, I've crashed at 30 miles an hour. It's no joke. <laughs> so, so dude, I've been, I've been doing that and I've been riding around like joy riding on mopeds through the city. You wearing a helmet? Yes, actually I am. I'm not that stupid. Uh, I, okay. I, 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 I didn't I've, think you would be. <laughs> if your viewers, if your viewers think I'm really dumb, they can attribute it to this fact that uh, I've, <laughs> I've had like four or five concussions. So you know, the You're joke is him I, ammo, Jordan. The joke is the joke is I've had four or five. I, I can't really remember how many. So, um, <laughs> uh, so I've had four or five. I know I'll, I'll give them ammo. Oh, they're going to be like, wow, Jordan Davidson. It all makes boy, sense. Stupid boy with concussion. What other reason could you be against marijuana legalization other than brain damage? Right. Um, right. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. what did those happen from? I'm sorry to, uh, oh, no, football no. or Oh no, my mom never let me play football because she because by that point I had too many injuries and I had so many broken bones. Um, uh, so I I did a lot of skiing when I was younger. So I think a couple of them happened from skiing, um, uh, falling off of a jungle gym when I was younger, um, and uh, another one falling off a swing it was an unofficial concussion, but I think it was. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was actually funny. The first time I got a concussion was like that, like 2007, like right around the time that like all the data on concussions came out. And it was like a huge time because then people started talking about the NFL. Taking and, it seriously, yeah. And like, and like head injuries in the NFL and stuff like that. So um, yeah, no, I'm very injury accident prone. So, I mean, this mopeds probably aren't a good idea, but you know what, like screw it. <laughs> Got to live on the edge sometimes. I don't, right? I know. It's like, man, this is what I say. I've gotten sober, you know, I've cleaned up my life. I, I go, I, I, I'm staying in school. I can ride a moped if I want to ride a moped. Um, yeah. I, can, I can treat myself. Yeah. Well, here's how they're going to, they're going to take that snippet of you saying, once I fell from a jungle gym, once I fell from a swing set, these are the reasons Jordan doesn't like being high. There you go. Because right, you fell there from you high. Yeah. <laughs> oh, joke. that's good. That's good. So yeah, Stupid and joke. honestly, your your yeah, your your listeners, if if anyone does try and come like stalk me or something, they'll probably just try and catch a photo of me on a moped looking stupid and post it on. <laughs> I need a photo of you on the moped now. Um, Well, cool, man. I, you know, I know that uh, just like Retton, Retton, Washington, nobody that I know, not going to answer that phone call. Um, I know that just, you know, people are going to have the reaction that they do. And I, I just hope that they, if, if you're listening right now, folks that are still triggered, if you're listening, if you've listened this far, I hope that what you've taken away from this is that Jordan stands where he stands. I stand where I stand. We have, may have had disagreements, but we just went through a conversation and I think uh, that's okay. You know what I mean? I think that's okay. And it allows people to continue the conversation. Um, I just got to say Twitter is not the best place to conduct nuanced conversation people. Um, 
It literally right. has a character limit. It literally has a character limit. It's a terrible right. place in that conversation. Sorry. Yeah, but reach out to Jordan. You know, he's not hard. We showed his Twitter earlier, yeah. uh, Sam, and they're they're not hard to get a hold of. If I could say anything, folks, it'd be to make your case without being insulting. Um, you know, look, I know that that some of you can take this very personally. And for the reasons I said it, Jordan, when, when it comes down to it, some of these policies end up involving police in people's lives. I understand why you people can get emotionally charged. Yes. But what you have to do in order to have a conversation, you can't say, listen, idiot. You have to say, listen, here's why I believe what I believe. And you need to present your case. That's, I think, an effective way to communicate and it's hard to do that from Twitter, I have to say. So, folks, if, if you're going to engage at all, please do it in a way that's productive. You know, I see too many times some of those comments that we just displayed where it's just like, like you, if you think if like if somebody made that in an act, that argument in a professional professional setting, it's like, why were the insults laced in what you were trying to say? Like, why can't you just make your case? You're also like, I'm never like, I will engage and I have engaged on Twitter even with like thoughtful um, opposition. Um, I don't, I don't know if he listens to your podcast, but, um, but, but, but if by by chance, cause he likes this kind of stuff he does, there's a guy, for example, who is totally against me and everything I say, and he can get annoying, honestly, on Twitter, his name is Matt Elrod. You can probably see him on my Twitter, but he's a nice enough, he's a nice enough guy. And I bring his name up because even though I sometimes don't respond because I just don't have the energy, he's a guy who tries to, br- who is totally against me, but tries to bring peer reviewed research and serious arguments and thoughtful discussion. And I will sometimes respond to him and we'll get in threads talking about this issue. And it's because he doesn't just say, Jordan, you suck, you hate, you know, whatever. It's because he actually gives an argument, right? So, uh, you know, you're not gonna engage people if you if you engage, if you talk, yeah, just yeah. full results. Hey, I forgot to tell you what I was wrong about in the last podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I know I'm pushing our time, but are you okay? Hey, no, 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 dude, you're good. Cool. This is, this is good. I think this is one of our longest podcasts with a fucking, with somebody from Sam, believe it or not. Anyways, uh, last time I debated with you, whether or not THC is indicative of potency. And I've been told by the medical chemists and pharmacologists that I had on in the last episode that THC can be used, can be not what I said, can be used as an indicator of potency. Um, so the, the, the point I'll still dispute with you is that these high potency products, I'm saying it now, you got me, I'm wrong. They're high potency products. They've existed hand hash hash in general. No, the cartridges haven't always existed, but I might be wrong on this. If you Google, there is evidence of people dabbing oil concentrate in the past. You don't need solvents and chemicals in a lab to create this, you can do it through just pressure, like with two hot plates and a little bit of heat, you can squirt can- cannabis concentrate out of cannabis flowers. Look, look into rosin. It's pretty crazy. Well, yeah, I guess. And, and like that, that's fine. And like, there's no point in disputing that. I guess the, the thing where it comes into like a framing policy around it is like, those are for the hardcore people who want to spend the time learning how to do that and doing that and using it. That isn't majority of people, not even majority of people who use marijuana. 
Like, Absolutely fair. But my dis- my dispute was just that you guys say that these products are new and unfounded. And my thing new, is like hand hash and all that stuff. What I will say is they're newly mass mass used and newly mass marketed. And and especially the vapes are new are new. And yeah, and like, I agree with you on those mediums, the vape pens yeah. and the, the dabs but themselves the are vape, new, but, but hash would, and concentrated products yeah. are not. Yeah. Point, point taken, point taken. So. But anyways, I wanted to tell you that I was wrong on that because uh, I thought the the again the point. I'll tell you the 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 stance again. It was I was like, oh, there's other cannabinoids involved, so you can't say that this one is indicative of potency. He yeah. disagreed with me and said, by and large, scientists use it to indicate potency. So yeah. Anyways, well, Jordan, I had a fucking blast with you today. And I will be in touch. Um, I, do you have any any last words? I mean, it's you know, uh, I, I I don't think so. Other than just you know, it's it's great talking to you, um, and and I love having these conversations. And I think you are by far the the most open person who you know I do disagree with on some issues um, to talk to about this. And it, it really is, uh, almost a relief in some ways to get to sit down and talk to you because everything that, everything that I talk about, you know, it's always super political, super charged, you know, mm-hmm. what you say and people just attack you. And so it's nice to be in a more relaxed environment where you can just kind of really talk about whatever you want. And, and I love that medium. And I, I please, the last thing is please reach out to me. I'd be glad to come back on and I'd be definitely happy, man, to do, to do, whether it's a discussion, whether it's a debate or whatever with, with someone else, have have a, you know, you know, three person conversation, four person conversation, whatever you want, definitely down to do that as well. Great. Well, we'll definitely take you up on that. And folks, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Chillinoy podcast. Take it easy, everybody.